thanks for taking the time to download this BBC Radio 5 Live podcast. To search for other podcasts you might like, click bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live, where you'll also find our terms of use. Ooh, actually, I've got, a, I've got a new one. Have you? Go on. Wassail, wassail, wassail. Very good, very festive, that? very festive. That occurred to me just a couple of days Does ago. Does anyone use that word still? Do they still go wassailing? There's a song Maybe they that go says, wassupping. That, yeah, that's unlikely. There is a song that says, a wassailing we will go. Well, there's loads of wassailing songs. No, no, but, no, but there's a song that says, yes. a wassailing we will go. No, there are lots of them. Uh, name one. Th- that one. Here we come, a wassailing. wassailing. A wassailing, a wassailing. Here we come, a wassailing. All, all on, on a, a su- all on a December morning. morning. <laughs> <laughs> Write your own wassailing song here. What do you do if you wassail anyway? Well, it's just singing at people's doors, isn't it? It's basically turning up. At, I believe it's turning up outside people's doors, traditionally with a you know with a lamp on the end of a piece of stick, and singing "We Three Kings of Orient Tar" until someone gives you some money to go away. So it's the same as carol singing, isn't that what it is? No, I, I think it, I think I think wassailing is after Christmas. I think you was sale on Boxing Day. No, I've got. Don't start looking up things on a Why? computer because it's boring. It's not. Well, you carry on talking, which will be exciting. I'm going to look up what was sailing means, and it will probably tell me that it means was upping, which would be very funny. Anyway, so uh, yeah, welcome to our our very festive uh, podcast extras coming to you from a mystery pub. Can we can we say we could probably say where the because pub by is by now? It doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. We're at the Bull in Highgate in Here we go. London. Wassailing is a very ancient custom that is rarely done today. The word wassail comes from the Anglo-Saxon phrase wassail, which means good health. Originally, the wassail was a drink made of mulled ale. Oh. Yeah, there's nothing about Boxing Day. You carry on. No, no, this is really riveting. Well, you brought it up, not me. So here we go. The traditional... Ah, yeah. fine, here we go, here we go. Two distinct categories. The house visiting wassail and the orchard visiting wassail. The house visiting wassail, caroling by another name, thank you, Kaching, is the practice of people going door-to-door singing Christmas carols. The orchard visiting wassail, which I think you were referring to, refers to the ancient custom of visiting orchards inside the producing regions of England. All right, enough Wikipedia. Let's yeah. move on with the show. Here we are. And now, the whole of the show is going to be, well, an, an awful lot of it will be Mystery Pub. We're going to say Mystery Pub, Mystery, mystery Pub, Mystery Pub. Pub. But because we, we are devoted to our podcasters, mm-hmm. we can tell you we're in the Bull in Highgate, which we is are. very nice. Yes. Uh, which is uh, in a swanky part of North London. Stephen Campbell. I used to live what? not far from here. I used to live down the way and my mum is going to be interesting well only that my mum used to say we live in Highgate Borders I said no mum we live in East Finchley Stephen Campbell from Belfast a new convert to the Church of Wittertainment I have become very rapt and attentive listener to your excellent podcast over the last year very good but, just, but a newcomer still our correspondence caught uh, my attention uh, one correspondence caught my attention on last week's show concerning the fictitious country of Madagascar or rather the confusion that some people believe it is made up, a made-up land along the lines of Asgard or Fredonia. This confusion can also apply to events. I work at Titanic Belfast, which is the principal Titanic yeah. museum in the world. That's right, it is. Dedicated to telling the story behind the construction, launch, maiden voyage and sinking of the doomed liner. Working at the museum, it's quite common for customers to come up to me and ask, why did you build a massive multi-million pound museum about a film? No. And are genuinely dumbfounded no. when I break the news to them that Titanic was a real thing and that actually happened. These are fully grown adults, by the way, says Stephen. I wonder, and I submit the question before the church, 
Are there any more examples of this phenomenon out there where a real person, a real place or event has been forever cast as fictitious in people's mind as a result of uh, movie adaptations? Um, Anyway, that, is, if a, you that could is astonishing. Send a mighty was up to all the staff at Titanic Belfast. Was up, Campbell. Well, that's, uh, isn't that extraordinary? That is, uh, How can anyone just think? It was a, absolutely astonishing. People, huh? Uh, Andy, <laughs> Andy Hazel. Yeah, people. Uh, <laughs> I'm writing in commiseration with your emailer, whose efforts to Google news from his home country of Madagascar were thwarted by the deluge of promotion for penguins of. While travelling through Central America and some parts of the US. I had at least half a dozen conversations with people convinced that my home of Tasmania was in fact invented by Walt Disney. Guatemalans would gaze at me wide-eyed when I answered where are you from with laughing disbelief before making spinning motions with their index finger and insisting that I was joking. Already the victim of demeaning Irish-style jokes from the rest of Australia due to having Tasmania as a birthplace, being thought of as a cartoon character come to life is comparatively fun. Uh, on the same thing, Eric Crawford in Amherst. Where's that? Uh, Amherst? Amherst, Massachusetts. Oh. Uh, dear Baba, and indeed... Duck. Duck. If, of course, we're determined it's not about movies, it's about sharks. Your podcast downloads are skyrocketing because what you are doing is teaching colonial commoners such as myself to express themselves properly. I now know how to use the adjective pants. I've learnt the proper <laughs> pronunciation of wasp, which is great because uh, everyone here in the United States has been way off for years, apparently. Now, if I can just get to the bottom of how a drain laughs, I'll be dead chuffed. Where's all that about? Where did the laughing drain come from? Uh, yeah, I, we said it was like the water going down. Oh, the... is that where? David Morris has just walked in the pub. He's one of our mystery guests. Can he appear on the podcast? I don't think he can appear on the podcast. He's no, he can't. He's looking worried as though he's late. We're recording the podcast. Yeah, then. you're late. You've missed the show. Bye. Come in. Be on the podcast. Do you want to be on the podcast? We're recording the podcast now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How are you? Yes, you're on it right now. Serious <laughs> broadcasting standards are being upheld. Am I on the green? <laughs> Is that your golfing sort of terminology coming, uh, coming to the fore there? Uh, Siobhan on this. Uh, my father... Are you listening, Mark? I am listening, Are you yes. distracted by our guests? I'm just slightly distracted by trying to find out about wassailing and... We, we, we've sorted, David. We've sorted the wassail. Do you know what a wassail is? I uh, no. Is it a sailing term? You know no, wassail. You go wassailing at Christmas. All. There are lots of songs about wassailing. Uh, no, remind me, Simon. No. I'm coming in late. That's no, fine. We've already... Is we've it good Kings or Wenceslas? Well, it's sort of like carol singing, but you can do it in orchards. Uh, really? At all times. Apparently, Officer. yes. Well, yes, well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when cider is being made, it's apparently very... It's a great tradition. Great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Siobhan, on this email, Siobhan Shaw, my father, a loyal listener of many years, mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago that he wanted to go and see Paddington. Having seen posters around and heard a bit about the Colin Firth kerfuffle, I wasn't too impressed, and I told him I wasn't that bothered. However, after listening to your review... I was back on board and messaged my dad the next week we should go after all, only for him to tell me that he'd already gone with my stepmum. Okay, yes, I'm attention. The betrayal was monumental, even if it was of my own making. When I asked my stepmum if she liked it, she said it was all right. But then she owns Sex and the City on DVD, so her opinion can be calmly placed to the side. I should also note that they're in their 50s. And oh. they should have felt obliged to bring a child along, even if the only one available was in her 20s. Now, I don't have, anything to, no, I don't have anyone to see it with. Me and my friends are more likely to go and see that film which comes out next year where Channing Tatum is a giant elf or Fast and Furious 23. <laughs> my dad is my film buddy. <laughs> Can I also mention that Mark is wrong about what we do in the shadows? Oh, really? Which well, is one of my favourite No, no, films. loads of people have written in and say that. Anyway. Just, you know. 
So, do you have do you have a movie buddy, David? If you go and see the movies, do you just go with your good lady wife her indoors, or do you have I, a movie buddy? I who have you... two buddies, which is yeah, my wife, but also my ten-year-old. Uh, I go to the cinema a lot with as well. But no, I don't have somebody who I get in touch with who's a mate who we meet up. And I do tend to go to the cinema on my own. That's would, what I like to you? do. Yeah, I always go. To, I practically always go on my own. Why, really. why is that? Because you're um, unpopular these days. Yes, very <laughs> unpopular. No I'm very, sorry, that's a Billy No Mates. No, it's, I like the fact that I can be on my own. I can choose my own time. I, I like. I tend to be walking down the street and think, I'm going to go and see that. I've got a couple of hours but and jump into a cinema rather than plan. So do you tend to go in the afternoon? Yeah. Which is always. best time. Yeah, always. Don't get the person behind you kicking the seats. Always go. Don't get the person in front of you. It's great. Exactly. It's brilliant. And if I can go even late morning, that's even better. Right, so really this nice. is far too important to put on the podcast. We're going to put this in the real show. Plus, my computer's just stopped, so we're going to end the, this, this exciting part of the program. Your computer only is look, updating. Like, this, can I just say, this is brilliant. This he's is like brilliant. Michael Bay. He can only work with electronics. His compu- thank you. His, compu- yes, his computer is automatically updating, and it has only yeah. done 26% of its updates, and do it's not decided to do computer. it now, seven minutes before we right. are live Everything on will air. be fine. Everything will be fine. Did you, did, did you not get the messages which said, do you, want, do you want me to delay the Quiet. updating? I can hold it back for 24 hours. Press you. Or were you just ignoring it? Here comes the show. Hello, good afternoon. It's six minutes past two. We're talking movies till four o'clock, and we're doing what most people are doing. And we're going to the pub because it's our last show before Christmas. Happy Christmas, Mark. Happy Christmas, Simon. This is quite unusual, sitting in the corner of a pub doing the show. Corner of a pub where it's 22.8 degrees Celsius, I can see from the BBC clock just in front. And it's the 19th day of the 12th month. There you go. It's abs- so much information on one very particular. Good. And the reason that we've come to this particular pub, apart from the fact that it's full of very nice people and it's got a very nice Christmas tree, is that it is, I can't remember the form of words that we agreed, <laughs> it is one of the it's pubs within the, vicinity. within the vicinity of Dave Morris's uh, drinking habits. <laughs> You're right, David? I am very well. Uh, yes, it's one of the pubs in my local area, I think. Is that what we agreed? That's what we said. Well. Okay, is it lo- one that you visit on a regular basis? Uh, I've been here you before. You have been here before. I, I wouldn't say I was, uh, the bar staff know me. I wouldn't okay. say that. <laughs> they don't see you coming and go, a, a pint of David's favourite. Lock the doors. Are you that guy from Thorn? Is that what they say? <laughs> no. Why? Do they say... Oh, you were great at men behaving badly. That's what they yeah. say all the time. They, do they ever say, why didn't we get more Thorn? Yeah, they, everyone thorn says that. More Thorn is what they more say. Thorn. More Thorn. Yes, and we're still saying that, Simon. We're still putting that out there. Is there going to be more Thorn ever? Uh, I don't know whether there is. I think uh, Sky decided that they didn't want more Thorn. But the public did. OK, there we go. very good. So, As they're pulling you apart, they ever go, that basic instinct too is actually pretty good. You see, the thing is, no one pulls me apart because I don't drink, so oh, that's the fine, thing. So I come in here and I eat. I eat in here. This is a, uh, a really nice place to eat. But, but, it, but it's a mystery pub. And, it's well, a mystery out, pub. Outside we can see tables and chairs and sunshine. Uh, and sunshine. I've just come back from the West End nice and people flowers. were in shorts and T-shirts. That's why it was that's very right. We're actually in Jamaica. I think that says more about the circles you move in than the West End, <laughs> yes, David. that's right. Uh, I was inside a club at the time, but... Uh, so we've got some mystery guests in our mystery pub. If you, if you work out where we are, you know, good luck to you. Yeah. We are live streamed, so you can actually watch the pictures from inside our mystery pub. If you go to the Five Live website, you can get involved. You can email and text as normal, and the live streaming is, uh, is up and looking lovely, I imagine. Um, now, as we're in a pub which has got a, a microbrewery attached, so uh, narrows it down a bit. Um, Mark, this is, this is from... From Mark, an email from Mark. Not dear, me, Mark. Not dear me. Batman and the voice inside Mark's head, may I suggest some names for your wittertainment beer? This came up as a suggestion uh, last week, so let's see what you make of these. Bittertainment, very good. A, a beverage very that good. slips down quietly, best served with a soft roll. Thank you. Lars von Beer. Oh, that's a beverage good. that inevitably leads to conf- controversial <laughs> things being said. Uh, what else we got here? The Fairporter Convention. 
best enjoyed with feet up and listening to Legion Leaf. Uh, and the Werner Hertz grog <laughs> can be drank as a pint or a shot, though it will not be an insignificant bullet. <laughs> Very Not good. bad, eh? Very, very good. good. I have to say, I think Lars von Beer is my favourite of all of those. Because that would kind of work. It would work, yes. Are we going to get more of them through the show? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. You think? I like the way professionally, though, you trailed ahead. <laughs> You've done this before. <laughs> 85058 for, for Wizard. Not when you're here. No. If anything is better than Lars von Beer, uh, then we'll take that. Uh, this from, uh, from Ben. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm nine years old. Hello, Ben. Uh, it's a bit of a competition to find youngest oh, okay. uh, listeners. I have two Blue Peter badges and knife, axe, saw and fire badges from Danish scouts. I've been living in Denmark for two years, listening to your programme since I heard it when we drove home to England last year. Listen to the podcast every week in bed when I fall asleep. <laughs> this is a regular <laughs> thing. My little brother Joe and I get private film lessons from my dad. We regularly have a movie night on the projector. We on, the projector? on a projector. Wow. How about that? Does anyone do? do no but one do you think it's like a, like a digital, but not like a not thirty, not a sixteen? Who knows? Who knows? I think it's we Denmark. need photographs. Yeah, oh, okay. I think we absolutely do. Go on. Well, we've seen some of the most important films like Metropolis and Silent Running. This guy's nine. <laughs> they have inspired Superman and Wally. -E. I like listening to your show because I love hearing about films, then talking about the films with my dad. I'm writing to hopefully claim the youngest listeners. Hang on, this is a letter that I've sent in from the past, isn't it? It's only just arrived. <laughs> I started listening when I was eight. I have also listened to the show in Denmark, England, Australia, and soon in France. I would really like to, you to make a corner for younger listeners like me. Definitely. So how about that? That's fantastic. That's, that's pretty good. What and a great film education. Uh, Ella Russell in New Zealand. Uh, I'm writing to try and assume the longest, youngest listener position. I've been listening since I was three, and I'm now 12. In total, I've been oh, listening yeah. for around eight years. So, obviously, she, she skipped a year somewhere. Yeah, yeah. There is also my brother, who is nine. <laughs> He's been listening since he was three months. Uh, we both learned to uh, love your constant bickering. In fact, recently, I was taking our dog for a walk, and my brother said, bye-bye, dog, as in Babadook. Very good. That's the way it goes. Bye-bye, dog. Can you say hi to my mum, Alice, and dad, Colin? Massive what's-up shout. Because uh, we enjoy the program. Can I just ask David quickly? Have you seen Babadook? I haven't yet. No. You need to see Babadook. But my son saw it, and uh, my eldest son, who's 20, and hated it. But I remember talking no. to you about it, and you were saying you felt that it was more of an adult movie. It really. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. He thought it was. He just didn't go for it for him. Oh, okay. But I mean, I know that you strongly recommended it, Loved so I it. definitely will see. Loved it. it. Do you know any women who smoke pipes? Uh, that's a very strange question, Sam. And I've never. Thanks for throwing that at me. Do I? No, I don't. Okay. I know. It's, um, a, it, it's quite a thing. I'm going through my address book in my mind now, trying to think, but no. I well, you have a section in your address book called Women Who Smoke <laughs> Women Pipes. Women in Pipes, yes. Uh, it's a blank page at the moment. Uh, Duncan Jameson, on Saturday afternoon past, I went with my dad to buy a Christmas tree for my sister. She told us uh, that they were being sold under the railway bridge on Dumbarton Road in Partick, uh, in Glasgow. I'm including all the place names to see how you handle the pronunciation, as most non-Scots, Jude Law, awful, says Duncan, really struggle. I don't think I'm struggling with Dumbarton or Partick or Glasgow particularly. Anyway, imagine my surprise and delight when the woman selling me the Christmas tree was smoking a pipe, which was Very truly good. Uh, fantastic. Uh, and this from Darcy Jorgensen-Adams. Yes, there are women who enjoy pipes and Igad cigars. My pipe of choice is a church warden. For cigars, I prefer Churchill's and Lonsdale's. Ring size no longer than 48. Thank you very much indeed if wow. you're buying. Fantastic. Who would have thought? Now, the box office top ten 
uh, we're going to do in a moment, OK? But are you very useful for the box office top ten, David? I'm totally useless for the box uh, okay, the but, okay, top ten, because I've not seen any of them. Oh, the, the, I, uh, I do have a list of that I want to see them in. OK, well, you have to rank your interest in, in going to see One the to ten. One to ten in how much you want to see it. Well, Paddington, I really oh, hang on, want hang to on, see. Hang on, hang on, hang on. We haven't got there oh, Have we not? Oh, look, I'm two previous. We go from ten down to discipline. Oh, right, OK, ten. Wait! We've got a quiz first, and you're taking part in this quiz. This is my pub, I'll have you know. I'll get the guys to throw you out in a minute. <laughs> on, no, on Monday... On go, our, yeah, that guy never comes in here and drinks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on our world-beating Facebook page, uh, to be found at facebook.com slash we asked you to summarise your weekend's viewing in the form of emoji. Now, these are the, as you know, the annoying symbols you accidentally use when typing with your big fat fingers, Mark. Never used one. Never and used then, one. And then, a pointed out that the speech-to-text function will read out the name of the emoticon. So, we have devised a game where you have to try and identify the movie from its emoji summary, OK? We've called this game Totes Emoji. Right? <laughs> you can play this at home, but only once we've showed off what we've actually uh, created. We've even made a little sting for Christmas it. Christmas 2014. It's Totes Emoji, and I'm not even joking. On Five Live. There you go, so Totes Emoji. <laughs> this is great. So you can, do, you can construct these yourself. So the, this, is, this is from the speech-to-text function from the phone, OK? So you have to recognise the movie from the emoticons, OK? Can you imagine such fun uh, honestly, in, in one radio just, um, quiz? I'm the edge of my seat here. OK, here's Totes Emoji number one. Happy face with wide mouth and squinting eyes. Smirking face. Person frowning. Pouting face. Japanese ogre mask. A K-hand sign. Dragon head. Rabbit. Bear. Monkey face. Pig. Pork rinse. Mount Fuji. Snowflake. Crown. Gavel hitting sound block. Trumpet. Butcher knife. Money bag. Rowboat, horse racing, three shining stars, footprints, chicken, leafy tree, branch with leaves. Branch with leaves is the key that we finish with branch, branch with leaves. <laughs> if it's not Godzilla, I'm going to be cross. It's not, it's not Godzilla. They, uh, but it was, uh, it was dragon was head and monkey and branch with leaves. Branch with leaves. It's a movie Noah. that ends up Noah. with lots of greenery. Noah. No. Gosh. The original no non-director's cut of Blade Runner. No, <laughs> no. I'll, 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 I'll tell you, it's The Hobbit. That, that whole thing was, was the, the Hobbit. Hobbit. That whole thing was the That was longer than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? OK, we're going to get to Noah. Are we? OK, but have we got one more? OK, so let, let's do another one, because that was, that was so popular and so successful. Here is another movie which is being summarised with emoji. Here we go. Watch, 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 watch. Watch, 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 watch. Is it the Hobbit again? Is it Time Bandit? No, you haven't seen it, but we've seen it. Watch, 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 yeah. watch. It's, it's a little bit about... disappointing as a summary of one of the biggest, noisiest, most fabulous oh, movies. Oh, Interstellar. It's, it's Interstellar. Oh, the noisiest Oh, I see. Movie. Fine, 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 right. fine, fine. But then okay. you, can't you, can't explain, you can't explain why, because that might be. Well, that's the thing. Step no for Yeah, spoil emoji. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Spoil emoji. Well, yeah, that was great. Fine. We're going to do that again in the next hour. <laughs> Brilliant. Because people love that so much. Those three-month-old people who are listening are going to be so entertained by that. Anyway, totes emoji, and I'm not even joking. Uh, OK, let's do the box office top ten. 
Uh, although David is going to get away with it by just saying how much he wants to see the movie. At number 10 is Interstellar. Watch. Yes, Watch. but 1 to 10, probably about 5, I wrong, think. Wrong, just the, that's five? The wrong. That's the wrong answer. Is it the wrong Nine. answer? How can I have a wrong answer when it's my opinion? Because What's it's the wrong opinion. You, because it's not your opinion. <laughs> you just haven't could properly thought it through. Five. If you spend Watch. time, if five, you spend time five, here, five, you should go and see five. it. The IMAX 70mm uh, presentation because, you, you know, you, you've I got I think I'm going to go to Denmark and see it in that kid's screening room. I think that sounds okay. like the best place. Is there any... His dad has got a projector. I know. That's extraordinary. I know. He oh. has old cine movies. And actually, if he's talking about Metropolis and Silent Running, it may, yeah, it may be a projector, you know, a, a, a celluloid projector as opposed to a digital projector. Number nine is Horrible Bosses 2. Which is horrible. I didn't like the first one. The second one I thought was really, really stretching a point. It's that I, it, it is one of those films that made me worry about the vulgarisation of mainstream comedy. OK, on a scale two. of one to two. ten, two. OK, right. Lauren Wyatt... Um, I, I listened to the show for the first time last week, and I'm a huge movie buff and fan of Simon's Drive Time programme and Mark's uncut blog. I highly enjoyed the show, but I have one criticism. Go on. Don't assume all teenagers like Horrible Bosses too. I saw the film on its opening day with my 54-year-old father and could not have been more appalled at the acting, script and sexism and mild racism and homophobia despite being a 17-year-old teenager. I did laugh at the first Horrible Bosses film but this film managed to not engage me in any way but only confused me with the overt sexism too, not women Mm. But men, where it implies men are too busy staring at boobs to complete a plan that their freedom depends on. I will not be seeing the next one unless my father wants to go, who for some reason enjoyed the film. Can I just somewhere. say, um, I, I never intended, and I don't think I did, but if I did, I'm baffled to have said that all teenagers would like it. I thought everyone, everyone would hate it. Nativity 3, Dude, Where's My Donkey at number 8. Dave, how much do you want to go and see this? I'll go for the 3. Go for one. a 3, all really? right. Yeah. OK, well, I would and agree... Because it has it in the title. Yes, I would agree that it is one better than Horrible Bosses 2. Right. It is, however, quite terrible. On the other hand, it took £1.8 million in its opening week, which demonstrates that nothing critics say makes any difference whatsoever. Always... Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast at number 7. One. Yeah, well, you're wrong there, because oddly oh, enough, yeah. this is the point at which the Tinkerbell series finds its feet. This is the one. This is the, sixth, so the sixth movie, and after I mean, five of them, me going, why? why are these in yeah. cinema? Suddenly, it finds its feet. Kicks in. I, but then I discovered that they've now cancelled the series. At the, exactly the moment that I got on board, they've cancelled no, it. Matthew terrible. T. Reynolds, uh, yesterday I took my four and three-quarter-year-old daughter to the cinema for the very first time to see Tinkerbell, Legend of the Never Beast. And? Whilst I'm happy to report she behaved impeccably, there were others in the audience whose conduct fell well short of the code standard. That it, doesn't surprise me. It's as if being under six is some sort of get-out-of-jail-free <laughs> card. I have come to the conclusion that other people's children are awful. Great. <laughs> They are certainly overrated. <laughs> and there should be an amendment to the code banning all children who aren't mine, bar and indeed humbug. Having said that, they all, most importantly my own, seem to enjoy the film, yeah. despite it not featuring Tinkerbell very much, and it mostly being about the pixie apocalypse. That the might... pixie apocalypse? Whoa. Well, really? It, it's, yeah, it, 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 oddly enough, there is a sort of potential pixie apocalypse. With the, there's a comet, and then there's Groff, the beast, who they think is going to bring about the... You see, you're surprised, David. Got, it's going you, up in my you estimation dis, You dismissed already. it without knowing, you know... Honestly. That's your dark thorn heart. It yeah. is. <laughs> anyway, she says, The sight of all the kids enjoying and truly buying into the Jeopardy without being overly scared warmed my ever-jaded heart cockles. Good. If indeed you had... If you're... 
heart has cockles. Heart cockles. Well, you can just warm the cockles of your heart. Well, you can better call the Woody Allen thing. Yes, what's better than heart cockles? I think there's a number that you need to ring if your heart's got cockles. Yeah. Anyway, Matthew, thank you very much, Steve, for that. So we've got Get Santa at number six. Oh, a good eight for me. Really? Well chosen. Well chosen. Okay, so why? Because of its cast. Very good. Predominantly, yeah. It is, actually, it's good fun. I mean, it's got a kind of DIY ramshackle British feel about it. But of course, the director who cut his teeth doing very decent horror movies. And of all of the the sort of, you know, that type of Christmas fair that's around it, it was enjoyable and good fun, and it'll turn up for years and years on, on television Christmas, and people were watching, oh, actually, that's a lot better than I thought. I really want to go and see that, yeah. Who in the cast is particularly... Uh, Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. He's great, great in everything. Sp- Spall, I think. I think they're both two great actors, yeah. But, you, but you've actually not bothered to go and see it Well, yet. I have been a bit busy, but, yeah. yes, okay. I will go there. And uh, number five is The Imitation Game. Yeah, I mean, nine. Nine? Nine for Score me. nine, quite yeah, right. I really quite want right. to. Uh, my daughter saw it and thought it was fantastic, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to go along this week, actually. Uh, Penguins of Madagascar at number four. Yeah, nine. Definitely. I hear <laughs> it's a great, double bill. I hear great things about this. <laughs> are you saying that sarcastically? No, not no, at fine, all. fine, good. No, good, good. Not, I don't have a sarcastic bone in my body. Okay, no, I'm no, sorry. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I hear great things about it. Not from you, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot funnier than you expect. It starts off with this, with a Werner Herzog joke, <laughs> and, which, is, which is worrying because, you know, the voice at the beginning says... Well, one of the penguins gets shot standing <laughs> behind a wire much, fence. There's a, document, there's a documentary <laughs> a crew out there, and it's Werner Herzog, and he says, here we are in Antarctica. Look at the little fluffy penguins falling on the fluffy bonbons. Never listen to that. <laughs> it's brilliant. And then you think it cannot possibly keep up this level of laughs. And then it does. It's, you know, it's all over the place. And it's, go. But it is funny. Got to go. uh, Andy Elms from our Facebook page tried to see penguins, but my four-year-old son got scared by the leopard seals and wanted to go home, but an amusing five minutes. Although so he only saw the Werner Herzog. What, yeah. what he actually meant was his son got bored after Werner Herzog wasn't in it anymore. What happens to the leopard seal? So it's not a spoiler because it's in the first five minutes. Is it a scary bit there? I don't remember being scared by them. I remember just laughing at Werner Herzog saying to, go, to go, give them a push gun. OK, so the top three, uh, Hunger Games, Mockingjay, part one. Uh, two, maybe three. Are you not interested in Hunger Games no, at all? No, not Have you all. never been? No, What's never, the, never got me. No, it, just, because it's just not aimed for me, me, really. It's just not, I mean, cast, and also... Phillips Love the Hoffman, cast, think know. they're great, but it's also it was one of the, one of those films, one of those like franchises that I would have got into via my children, and none of them were into it. My daughter was into the books, but she never got into the film, okay. so I never sort of found my way into them. In and that do you way. feel like because you missed the beginning, you just can't? Yeah. Isn't that be a fun? Just never because I. Coming to it late, I thought I can't be bothered. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Jacob in Weston, uh, I've just been to see the amazing Mockingjay with my lovely mother. I thought that it was brilliant. I enjoyed the previous two films immensely. Surprisingly, I preferred Catching Fire to the original film. I think I'm the only person who did. Anyhow, I thought this film was by far the You're best not the only person who did so far. After being an avid reader of the books, I expected absolute brilliance from this film. That is definitely what I got. I was not disappointed by it. I advise that this film is seen in the cinema because there are many loud bangs and crashes that create an essential atmosphere. The best action film uh, has a deep emotional side to it. I think that this film achieved this very well and so on. So clearly, uh, Jacob, a bit of a fan. Yeah. Right. Uh, so at number two, it's Paddington. Yeah, nine, definitely. I've heard great things, not least of all from my uh, youngest and my wife who saw it and just thought it was fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to it. This is because you go to movies on your own, largely. I, I do, on my own. It's not really a movie to go to on your own, really. 
No, but actually, if you can get over the if you, if you get over the embarrassment of actually just sitting there <laughs> surrounded by other people's children, yeah. Uh, the, the, well, you know, again, but it fine. depends when you go. If you go in the middle of the afternoon, that probably won't be the case. That's and actually, right. we've had on the show uh, loads of people writing in saying, you know, grown couples said, you know, we went to see Paddington, we felt a little bit. In, but then once we were in there, it was a very, very mixed because every because yeah. everyone has said good things. About and also, it. my ten-year-old has said he'd see it again and again and again. So I probably will go with him. But I mean, I, I hear great things about it. The trailer, I think, is fantastic. And Ben Wish. I think who does the voice. Yeah. I've heard that. I think he gets it absolutely, gets it absolutely right. Which is totally. particularly great considering there was all that stuff about Colin Firth doing it and then stepping away from it. And you thought this sounds like it's you know it's got the it's got the stink of something which well, didn't work. And then it's just no, charming. It's and great. I think the highest praise is I think there are things in it that remind me of Mary Poppins. It Fantastic. does have that Poppins view of great. London. In, so in your imagination, Dave, because you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. what age would you imagine Paddington is when you when he speaks? What kind of age kind of bear are you expecting him to be? About 12. Is that not right? Yeah, I reckon. Well, I think he's sli- I think he feels like a 14, 15 year old so bear. On to the me. cusp of yeah. adulthood, do you think? Yes, yeah, so he's a young. He's a, he, he, I think of him as being the sort of the same age as Tintin, a young man, okay. you know, somewhere between being a, a boy and a man, although obviously a bear. But How about this? How about this? An email from Edmund Paddington. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a name. Uh, given my family surname, uh, we've always taken something of a proprietorial interest in the welfare of the emigre from Peru. I was therefore somewhat concerned at the news that a film was to be made based on the much-loved books which have been childhood favourites. And it, uh, so it was some trepidation I took my older Paddington boy, age seven, imagine being a seven-year-old <laughs> Paddington, off, imagine the register at school. Uh, Paddington, I mean, it's just going to be fun. Uh, if indeed, do they do registers still? Or do they swipe I'm them in? I'm I don't know. Do you get swiped you... in with a card? No, you? you still do register. Still do register, just checking. Yeah. Off to the nearest soulless multiplex. I left my younger Paddington, 14 months, at home as I feared numerous code violations and general lack of interest. I need not have been concerned as right from the off, we laughed like drains. In my case, quite literally, till the tears rolled down my face. The little bear was brilliantly and faithfully imagined. He stole our hearts from the off and my boy was enthralled. Good. There was enough going on for me to be entertained as well, and despite the slightly predictable plot, I was just as engrossed as my son. We were right on the edge of our seats when the thing involving mild peril happened near the end (laughs) and laughed with relief at what occurred afterwards, whatever that might be. (laughs) All in all, a thoroughly enjoyable experience. And as we left, I had to promise William that I'd buy the DVD the minute it's available. Can I just say one of the best things is the way that you have really learnt not to do plot spoilers. Do you think? You have really taken that on board, haven't you? Uh, well, I'm trying, you know. You are trying. <laughs> yeah. Very trying. So. Ruth Kirby, me and my family went to see Paddington as a Christmas surprise. Uh, I always enjoyed the books. We laughed the whole way through. And after stepping out uh, from the fantastic Barbican Cinema in London, we chatted all the way home about the wondrous film we'd just witnessed. Brilliant. One of the best films about it was the fact that there were many funny references to other great films in there. Really? Yeah, I mean, well, yes, but, but, yeah, but it's not sort of cutesy. I mean, you know, it's... It's, you can take it on whatever level you right. want to take it. And I think, you know, young... I mean, some people have said the very young might find certain bits of it a little bit scary. But, but right. uh, I, think, I think audiences of all ages can enjoy it. Uh, Dave Armstrong, as an expat in Hamburg, feeling generally alienated after two and a half years, butting up against German culture and a bit fed up, and after three weeks of almost freezing rain, I and the Frau indoors decided <laughs> to take Junior, age three, to see Paddington, even though we'd missed the only English language screening in the hope that it would cheer up the cockles of our British hearts, more hearts with cockles. 
The Sunday afternoon screening was just about sold out. I'm delighted to report that the whole cinema responded warmly to the film, probably an 85% reaction, as I suspect some of the very British jokes went over their heads. Sometimes things are just right. Look after this bear, read the label, and the filmmakers have done just that in spades. If there was a German word for taking joy in eccentricity and celebrating all things and values British... There almost certainly is. ...then this film would be its definition. And he's had a, had a go at this. Uh, Gross Freude mit British Kultur in Exzentrikeit. Surely a hopeful response to Schadenfreude of American gross-out comedy. Is that, that could be a thing. Gross Freude mit British Kultur Exzentrikeit. Very good. That was fantastic. Fluent. Do you think? Yes. Freude Weihnachten. That's Happy Christmas in Germany. Is it? Oh, well yeah. done. Number one is The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Yeah, looking forward to this. Still not seen it, but uh, probably up there seven, eight. Well... No? no? No, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you like the first two... I like the it, first one. OK, fine. Really? Not, not too yeah. much singing. You, you'd like the first one more than the second one? Yeah, I did, actually. OK, yeah, you, yeah. so you liked all the sitting around with the tea party I and them telling right, stories yeah. about things that happened... Are you just keeping with Jimmy Nesbitt? No, no, I thought it was all right. Okay, so he roughs you up. All right. Yeah. Well, my feeling was I thought the first one was really quite dull. Right. And I thought the second one upped it a little bit and, you know, was much more of a thrill ride. And this kind of, after a spectacular opening, sort of goes back to a little bit of the... There's an awful lot of people standing around against huge, sweepy... CGI backgrounds going frith and throng with a fliddly flung thing, you know. And it is long. It's the shortest of the three. It's still long. Here's the thing, though. Right, my my youngest is 15, and and his birthday's always in December, Okay, So he, for the last three years, his birthday treat goes to see a Hobbit movie. Fantastic. Uh, Have some food, have some friends, you know, that kind of thing. He hasn't seen Lord of the Rings. He said, can I now watch Lord of the Rings? So he's seeing them in the... This the is right the right order. order. The right see, order. Hobbit 1, 2, 3, then... And, it, it, and you'll see at the end of Hobbit 3, it leads beautifully into yeah. Lord of the Rings. Which is so well, unlike the Star Wars a... thing, if you started with the Star Wars prequels, you wouldn't want to watch the no, original, you would you? But actually, in the case of Hobbit, it is... I mean, it's not bad. It's, it's certainly not bad. And, it, it, and when you put them all together, OK, fine, good, solid job, move on. Richard, but Mo- Richard, to get to the end of it and then go and see Lord of the Rings and you haven't seen it before, it must be brilliant. Richard Morley in York. Recently, I had the pleasure of being driven through Oxford by a taxi driver who pointed out that the pub where Tolkien used to drink with his friend C.S. Lewis at the time when he, Tolkien, was writing his stories of Middle-earth, epic folk tales of a mythical in- England. Imagine what his reaction might be if he were to see the final episode of The Hobbit. Would he think, do you imagine, of an elf lord riding an animatronic reindeer or a wizard on a sleigh being pulled by a giant rabbit, of a dwarf king, dwar- a dwarf king riding a pig, of a love affair between a dwarf and a made-up elf, of a giant arrow that no bow could shoot, or of a goblin with a prosthetic sword? I could go on. Or do, you think Tolkien, la- do you think Tolkien would be sitting there going, this 48 frames per second is never going to catch on? <laughs> Mark said last week that The Hobbit is not a bad film. It's not. It's a terrible film. It shows no respect to a delightful children's story, to an author of learning and vision, or to the thousands of parents and children who've loved the book. Peter Jackson, you're having a laugh, and you know it. Can I just say, I'm I'm sorry, whatever the criticism of The Hobbit may be, I think Peter Jackson has nothing but respect for Tolkien. I mean, you may not like what he's done with it, but whatever he's done with it has not been done out of a lack of respect. And also, the book is always... You know, the book is the book, the film is the film. Yeah, but but, but I I think you cannot... You just can't claim... that Peter, Peter Jackson doesn't have respect for Tolkien. No, he does. If anything, that's kind of the problem. Uh, and uh, this from Nadim Razvi, just our last comment, because we've got uh, Tim Burton ready to go. Uh, on The Hobbit, really, uh, I only went to see it as I had to finish off the trilogy. The flabbiness of the expanded material detracted from the overall original story, and the film was better whenever Martin Freeman's Bilbo was in it. Yes, that's The real true. shame is that the previous ten years 
of uh, special effects have taken the wow out of the visuals. Wow, okay. I mean, certainly that there is... It's like, you know, when you see Battle of Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, you know, which mm -hmm. yours now has to look forward to. I, I mean, think. that, when you saw it the first time, you were... <gasps> And there's nothing of that. Although, actually, the opening, the opening of the Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies is pretty spectacular air raid. This is going to be a great, great Christmas and New Year because if we get the right versions, the special extended and Blu-ray versions mm -hmm. of, the, of this trilogy, it's 12 hours. Just oh, under, just under 12, 12 hours and a minute, I think. That's right. Imagine that. No, I'm not taking part today. We're just going to watch Lord of the Rings all day. <laughs> so, uh, coming up, uh, Dave, we're in Dave's pub, so that's, uh, so that's why welcome, we're here welcome. in our mystery pub uh, yeah. with some mystery guests uh, going to be joining us. Yes, we will be talking about uh, the Sony Pictures stuff after 3 o'clock. We also have a special Christmas play for you, plus reviews of these films. Uh, Annie, the uh, remake of Annie, Contiki, which uh, was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film uh, Oscar a couple of years ago, and Dumb and Dumber 2. And I'm rather disappointed, Mark, to notice that, because, you know, we've got this drama production now, we've got a little festive yes. uh, bit coming up later in the programme, uh, and we've, we've cast Dave in it, <laughs> and he's actually reading the script ahead he's of time. throwing me under the bus there, Which Simon, is, thank you very much. We thought that, actually, he might just sort of busk it and not notice any sort no, of no, I, want him, I want him to be up to full, you know. You want me off the page, I think, is what we call it. Off the page. <laughs> uh, Wittertainment Beer <laughs> Suggestion. Is that really what you say? Yeah. You're off the page, Off the book. Off the book. Uh, these started <laughs> off as Wittertainment Beer Suggestions, uh, and now they've morphed into this Mulholland wine. Very, is good. Suggestion. Very good. James Morrison's ordering a pint of Jodie Foster's. <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Binding would rather have a pint of David Cronenberg. Which is not bad, is it? And uh, Amir has suggested you should order a pint of Interstellar Artois. Well, <laughs> Although, funnily enough, I, I have like to say, that. That was, somebody did do an Interstellar Artois poster before the movie was released. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so I mean, again, I'm sure that was entirely original, but there is a poster that says Interstellar Artois. Nothing, Alex, nothing's original. No. Alex Backer is ordering some Christian ale. And Philip Guest has asked for Tequila Mockingbird. Hooray, <laughs> hey, that's very good. 85058 and mail at bbc.co.uk. Live streaming as well. Far more interesting. One, because we're not in the studio. Two, you actually see Dave Morrissey. See, a proper big actor in the pub, <laughs> in his pub, uh, in fact. So we're going to do some reviews. We have more mystery guests with us just after 3 o'clock. The drama production, more totes emoji. Uh, I know everyone's looking forward to that. First of all, we're going to talk to our uh, guest who isn't here, because he's got other things to do. You hear the fire? It's like I can. Fire. It's something that up. It's Nicely like... done. Spot effects. That's a proper fire. Oh, it is, yeah. That's like... It's like the spirit of Tim Burton suddenly whooshed into the room. It is. If it's all very on... Dickensian. Yeah, if you're watching on live streaming, that's a real treat. Look, it's on fire. <laughs> uh, OK, now we're going to talk to Tim Burton. This is because he has a new movie out called Big Eyes. First of all, here's a clip with Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. Five grand. We made five thousand dollars and it wasn't even for one of your good ones don't you mean one of your good ones no 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 an hour one of our good ones well what about honesty oh come on the painting says keen i'm keen you're keen from now on we're one and the same <laughs> And that's a clip from Big Eyes. I'm delighted to say that Tim Burton uh, has joined us. Hello, Tim. How are you, sir? Merry Christmas. Well, a Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> I imagine if you've got a movie coming... Well, the great thing about having a movie that's coming out just before Christmas is you've got the perfect ex excuse for not actually doing anything, not buying anything, not decorating anything. Is, yeah. is this I the case? when a movie comes out... Well, I usually like to leave the planet when the uh, movie comes out, so <laughs> it'll be quite difficult, but... Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I go into a weird cocoon, so it doesn't. Yeah, it, it helps with Christmas. I can just sort of hibernate. And wh- and why do you like to leave the planet when a movie comes out? I don't know. I just always feel a bit vulnerable. I mean, I feel a bit. I don't. I don't know. It's 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 just a strange my own peculiarity, I guess. That uh, it just. Uh, I wish I could be one of those directors that, that sits in the front row and looks back and watches the audience really enjoy the movie, but. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it can be going well, and I think it's, you know, it, it's the worst thing ever. So I, I have an out-of-body experience when I sit through one of my own films. I'm sure others do as well. So would this be sort of at the premiere, or would this be just any kind of screening, or are you just not looking forward yeah. to any of it? No, no, I mean, I, I, I love doing it, and I love finishing it. I love, you know, I, 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 you know, it's not that I don't love it. It's just I socially haven't yet been able to learn how to, you know, deal with it. Normal society. <laughs> okay. Well, now, t- so tell us, which we'll talk about more in a bit. But uh, tell us about Margaret and Walter Keane, who are the couple at the at the heart of your story, played by uh, Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. Just uh, just tell tell us this yeah. story because I'm, I'm aware that it's a true story, but I was not aware of any of the facts at all. Well, I mean, it, f- it first started growing up. It was kind of what I call suburban art that was very present in the culture I grew up in. It was in people's living rooms, doctor's office, dentist's office. It was like these eyes staring at you, this big brother-like kind of thing. And, and, and I remember it's like certain things from childhood leave you, but this image of these paintings stayed with me for a long period of time. And it wasn't until like the mid-90s when I learned the real story, which was the fact that up until that point, I thought that Walter Keane was the painter. And uh, even though it had been documented in, in newspapers and things, but it sort of flew under the radar. And then when I learned the real story about it, it just... You know, it it was like Ed Wood in the sense is like it was so unbelievable. It's like so this weird dysfunctional couple, you know, got together and created these strange mutant children. And so it's a real story, but it also sounded like kind of like a horror movie at the same time. Yes. But, you know, a real horror movie. So Mar- and Margaret is the artist. She's the one that's painting these extraordinary children with the huge big eyes. Um, Walter is kind of a huckster. Yes. Yeah, but he was like really, I mean, as much as people might, you know, first of all, think the art was kitsch and all of this and that he was some kind of maniac. I mean, he was sort of at the forefront of, you know, printing of, of art and opening a gallery and, and sort of sort of marketing that sort of become much more commonplace now. So, you know, he had a certain thing that, that he really brought to the table. I think if it hadn't been for him. I mean, Margaret would have never really seen anything potentially. So it's, uh, they were, they, they had a weird balancing or a weird dysfunctional connection that made one thing sort of big. There's a sort of a, spl- a splendid sort of distancing as to whether the art is any good. Uh, or not. And I do enjoy uh, Terence Stamp playing the New York Times art critic who describes it as being um, uh, an infinity of kitsch. Was that, is that the line that he has? I mean, I think... Well, yeah, no, but I mean, I think this was all from a real, you know, the real uh, uh, reviews of the work. And uh, that's why, you know, tried to represent because I had the same feeling. I mean, I'd look at the art as a child and go, what are these images of children, you know? And it's like, you know, why is the grown people have this stuff hanging in their, you know, living rooms, you know? And uh, so I had that same kind of feeling. And it, it was such a polarization of how people, obviously a lot of people thought it was kitsch. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people wanted to rip it off the walls. And I think that's why you didn't really hear so much about it in terms of the story, because it wasn't considered, it mainly considered art. So it didn't sort of, it sort of flew under the radar of of, of stories 
And uh, but I think that's a big question. That's why I love doing Ed Wood. And I mean, I've experienced myself a lot. I mean, I remember when I had the MoMA show in New. They had this MoMA show in New York for my stuff, and it got completely panned by critics, probably worse than Keen. And yet at the same time, it had a good, amazing attendance uh, record. So, so this sort of this sort of thing of like this is. Or and at the same time, some people like it. You know, it's something I've uh, kind of experienced, you know, my whole life. Yeah, so yeah. I, I got that kind of thing. So, so, so the key thing here is also not just whether it's kitsch or not, but uh, as uh, is 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 referenced a number of times in the movie, this is women's art, and as Margaret says, you know, no one likes ladies' art, and so this is the sort of the background at the end of the fifties, early sixties, where it's genuinely felt felt as though women painting, no one's going to buy it. Well, in general, I mean, obviously, she mentioned Georgia O'Keeffe. I mean, there are obviously major women artists and stuff. But it, I mean, given at least in the sort of culture I grew up in, in the late fifties, early sixties, I mean, that whole sort of you know, it's it's obviously changed now. But I do recall at the time, it's like most women didn't work, at least the ones I knew, you know, and 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 a certain kind of suburban environment. And uh, I, I think Walter obviously sort of you, you know sort of presented it this way himself and uh you know was kind of had his tactics with her as well but um yeah it was definitely you know i i do remember it and uh and it, it's hard to believe now it's like hard life before cell phones you know it's like there's it, it was different can you tell us something about working with scott alexander and larry karaszewski because obviously they you know they wrote ed wood they have a, a phenomenal ability to take this the real life strange stories of people and turn them into you know uh, accessible movie scripts that a similar thing with the people versus larry flint what are they like to work with do you feel very close to them well yeah i mean i think that they you know they've written other kinds of things but i think for me that's their forte i mean they 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 and it was weird is is that you know i didn't know scott and larry were writing the script but i had my own sort of parallel universe where I was told a story about the mid '90s, and uh, and 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 I was in, then went to San Francisco and met Margaret and commissioned a painting from her, and so this was long before there was a project, and then sort of got wind that Scott and Larry had written a, a script based on it, knowing that their fascination with these kind of stories, you know, uh, it made sense to me, and uh, you know, similarities in the sense of what's good and bad, and and uh, I mean, in fact. You know, it's it's like what we read about, like there's a court scene in, in the film and people think it sort of goes way over the top and we actually toned it down, you know. And the most, I mean, he, it's a great performance from Christoph Voss, but he's the most maddening and infuriating and uh, extraordinary man all at the same time. Well, that's what he does so well. I mean, in this particular case, Walter, if you know, in reading about him, what Margaret said, I mean, he was a mixture of all those things. I mean, he was charming, he was funny, he was a womanizer, he was... Have horrible temper, bullying, scary, you know, dark, um, you know, and, but also had something to really awe, you know, the whole thing I said about printing and, and, and you know, a bit of ahead of his time in a way. Uh, we should uh, we should mention, Tim, that uh, you talked about Margaret Keane, who is actually in the movie. So she's played by Amy Adams. Uh, Walter Keane died in 2000, I think we mm. we learn at the end. But she actually, mm -hmm. did she take much persuading to actually appear? No, she's a very she's probably one of the shyest people I've ever met. You know, very very reserved, very internal. So it's amazing. A, I mean, I, I must have thought it just must be really weird to be watched a movie. You know, based on you, especially given the sort of private nature of, of her. 
So, um, but you know, I think Scott and Larry did, you know, t- talked her through the script a lot, and uh, no, she was very open about. It. I think she felt comfortable, and she'd met me, like I said, long before there was even a project. So we had some kind of connection. And uh, were you commissioned you know, smart? Yeah, I did. I, I like in my mid nineties, I went and visited her in her studio, and uh, you know, that's when I first got to know her a little bit. And I didn't. It was even a couple of years later when I knew that Scott and Larry were actually did a script based on it. So it was a weird sort of parallel universe going on at that time. On a very brief uh, festive note, can you just solve an argument for me? I, go, I keep getting asked, you know, list of ten favorite Christmas films, and I always put Nightmare Before Christmas in there. And I'm always told yeah. it's not a Christmas film; it's a right. Halloween film because that's when it gets yeah. really. Right, just it is a Christmas film, yeah. isn't it? Yes, I mean for me, I mean if you come over to my house, you have the Nightmare Before Christmas by way of Tokyo because I we put stuff on our tree that's got all sorts of monsters and a few decorations and some Japanese monsters and uh, so I like to let the Halloween through Christmas season. Just to be clear, Simon, I think yeah. I think Tim Burton just invited us to his house for Christmas. That that was what you said, wasn't it, Tim? Sure, yeah, and right. I think, I mean, it's it, does, it does sound as though Christmas in Bring Tim your Burton, own. Uh, yeah. It sounds as though Christmas in your house is exactly the way people would expect Christmas in Tim Burton's house to be. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, yeah it's possible. Yeah, yeah, put a few keen paintings up, and no, I do have a few keen paintings. So yeah, it's it's got it all. That's great. We're coming. We'll see you Christmas morning. Okay. <laughs> Tim, he, th- he thinks we're joking, yeah, but we're yeah, not. We'll be no, I know. Well, you guys can go there. I won't be there, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. I'll give you a key. Thanks. Uh, Tim Burton, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed, sir. All right, guys. Thank, thank you. Tim Burton talking about the release of uh, Big Eyes, which comes out on Boxing Day, and telling us that we can basically go, go around his, his house. house. Which is more than Dave Morris's actually done, because we have to go to his house. Yes, pub. well, I've, uh, I've had parties with you in the past. I know what happened. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> All right, that's very true. Yes, and, and if you just joined us halfway through, that was Tim Burton talking about Big Eyes, and we're having our, uh, our festive programme uh, down the pub. Uh, which is gradually filling up with people who've got no idea what's going on. It is a mystery pub in a mystery location with some more mystery guests coming up uh, the other side of 3 o'clock. A number of people uh, want us to have a conversation about uh, the interview uh, Sony Entertainment uh, story, which we will do uh, after 3 o'clock, but Big Eyes and Tim Burton, first of all. Well, I like it very much. It's very nice to see sort of Tim Burton taking on a slightly smaller canvas, and I think Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski are brilliant at writing this kind of screenplay. I always thought that Ed Wood was arguably Burton's best film, and I love the way it deals with somebody who was making movies that everyone thought was terrible, but dealing with them in a sort of loving way. I also think they did a great job with the, with the Larry Flint story. In the case of this, it is one of those cases in which truth is genuinely strange in the fiction. All the stuff that happens in the courtroom sequence, and this is not a plot spoiler because we all know that it builds to a courtroom battle. Yes. If you, you read up the real story, it is more bonkers than the stuff that is on screen. People genuinely cross-examining themselves. And I think that what Burton reminds us is that his... The thing that he does best is taking outsider characters, but not laughing at them, taking them just seriously. I mean, Christoph Waltz's character is played very, very broadly, but actually he's not laughing at the character. He's finding something fascinating about this genuine battle for ownership of the art. There is beneath that as well a discussion about what happens to women artists whose art is taken away from you. The whole point is, well, you know, yes, he's a salesman, but also significantly the fact that he's a man. There is also behind all of this, as we talked about in the interview, the discussion about whether the paintings are any good. Tim Burton, of course, famously worked for Disney, and then when he, when he left as a Disney animator, said that the problem was he couldn't do any more big-eyed creatures. And then, consequently, when he started doing his own animations, he did characters who had holes where their eyes should be because he said this was a sort of reaction. There's something actually com- which completely makes sense about Tim Burton being fascinated by 
characters with larger-than-life eyes. I mean, I find those paintings quite creepy. I find them, you know, quite disturbing. Really? I mean, not just in a kitsch way, but in there is something genuinely uneasy about them. But I think the, the, the film works because it, it is funny, but it's sincere about its characters. It does attempt to sort of pick apart this story and to tell it in a way which is, you know, slightly accentuated. And, you know, from the very beginning when you see that... You know, the milieu in which this is all happening, it looks like Tim Burton Town, it looks like the kind of place that Edward Scissorhands would take place, you know, with the manicured lawns and that particular pastel shade of the world, which he's particularly good at. But you care about the characters, you do genuinely think, actually, yes, I'm, you know, I'm with her in her battle to have this stuff, uh, have this stuff reclaimed. And I mean, I, and it wasn't the story with which I was, did you, were you aware of it anyway before? No, no, not at all. So I thought it told it in a way which was intriguing and engaging, and immediately you've seen it, you go out and you look it all up online because you think, that cannot be how it played. And of course, actually, the truth genuinely is strange in the fiction, so I like it. I think it's, uh, I think, think uh, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski have done a terrific job with that screenplay, and how fascinating that they were working on it whilst he independently was developing his own relationship with the story, and then the two things came together it's you know one of those kind of movie synchronicity moments Brilliant. are you a tim burton fan David? i am very much so i think he's an original i love him i think you know you go to see his films i mean he's got such a strong stamp on his on his films i loved big fish which was uh, yes it's an odd film and i know a lot of people didn't like it but i thought it was a great story and only someone like him can take that story and make it that big and that magical and you know get invested in those characters that are so strange but really bring them to life i love that film but so it, i'm looking forward to this it's interesting lot. that you bring big fish up because when we came out of the critic screening of um uh, of this uh, a number of critics standing around saying when was the last time tim burton made a grown-up movie in inverted commas and actually of course the thing which is immediately invoked is big fish which yeah. was something that was gen largely overlooked it wasn't a, a huge that. hit i love the time structure of big fish as well i love that sense of the man telling a story to yeah. his son and then the magical sense of the past and, and it's stuff properly like melancholic oh, and really broke my heart yeah, yeah. broke my heart yeah uh, OK, and that's our unboxing day. Uh, Big Eyes, the new Tim Burton movie. A couple of minutes before 3 o'clock. What else is out? Well, let's very quickly do Contiki. Well, this was uh, two years ago um, up for uh, uh, Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. It's a dramatised reconstruction of the Contiki journey. You know, obviously, there was the famous documentary, which in 1952 won the Oscar for Best Documentary. It's an extraordinary journey going across an ocean on a balsa wood raft in order to prove that, in fact, you know, people come from the South America, the Polynesian Islands, and it's what's great about the, the the movie is on the one hand you do get the sense of the madness of the journey, the fact that it's the central character keeps saying things like "have faith" and every the other people with him say, "Well, yes, but we're, we're adrift in the sea and we're all going to die." And it spices the action up with things like there are shark attacks, which are genuinely quite alarming when they happen. But for most of it, it's a retelling of a story which people of, with, of my age will be familiar. But it tells it in a way. But even though I think the most impressive thing is that even you, though you know exactly how the story is going to end, you know how the story pans out it's surprisingly gripping um it does a good job say, bearing in mind the belfast titanic story which we were talking about earlier do you think people will know the story and do you think people will no i think that there are people who won't know the story of contiki i mean it's a 15 certificate film so obviously we're not talking to a very young audience but it's a you know it's 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 a kind of boy's own adventure that is completely you know rooted in the truth and i think it will take people as well back to that documentary but which when is, you said documentary you said the 50s i mean i remember it in the 70s the documentary is 52 because the ex it? expedition was 1947 and it won the award for best documentary in 52 but of course it was one of those stories 
which circulated yeah. over and over and over. I mean, I think I probably well, when first I was heard about up, it on Blue it, Peter. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Exactly. And, there a, and there was a book, and I yeah. remember, and maybe there was another TV show at the time or something, but I remember very much growing up and it being this fantastic Yeah, no, story. absolutely, and it was, it, it, it seemed like such a magic to, to only use the materials that the pre-Columbian settlers would have had available to them. So you use balsa wood, you don't tie the raft together with wire, you do it with what they would have, and then you... You know, cast out to sea on the basis that you have a theory that this is how the settlers got there. You don't know. No. You, you don't know, but let's find out. And all the way through it, he keeps saying, he keeps saying have faith. And yeah. everyone keeps looking at him like, well, yeah. it's That's easy yes, for you to say. To say yes. <laughs> it is our festive special. We've come down to the pub, which we can now tell you, in, ca in case you were wondering or could be bothered. Uh, we're in the Bull in, uh, in Highgate in North London, and uh, we're very uh, grateful to them for making us uh, extremely uh, welcome and for making... Dave, uh, copious amounts of coffee. This is Dave Morrison. Thank you very it's, much. It's his gaff. He kind of owns this place. You've queued a stampede to this place now. Do you think? It'll be like um, Shane Meadows in uh, the Stone Roses film, <laughs> suddenly <laughs> setting off this. Do you think there'll be a mob? Honestly, they're teeming down the road right now. Didn't Brian Adams buy the pub next door to him? Because he thought it was too... I'm, I'm, I may be making this up, but I'm pretty certain Brian Adams lived next door to a pub and people complained about the not something, so he bought it. Really? I, I, like, I, but I may have just dreamt that. I think, it sounds I think like it's true. It's kind of thing he could do. Anyway, so we're here till four o'clock, and uh, we're going to be playing our brand new game, Totes Emoji. Oh, good. Uh, in just a moment. <laughs> if, you, if you've just joined us, it's uh, it, Dave Morris. He loved. He stormed it in the in the first round. Honestly, I'm delighted to say we've also been uh, joined by some uh, special guests. Amara Santi is here, top director and Grange Hill star. <laughs> thank you for that. Hello, Amara. How are you? I'm really good. And thank we spoke. You. And we spoke to you earlier in the year when Bell came out. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and what a year! What a year you've had, and what a year your movies had. It's been incredible. It really, really has. I'm ready for Christmas to lie down now. I can tell you. Well, in as much as you can judge these things by figures and statistics, I mean, how well did Bell do? I mean, Bell did particularly well in America, and that wasn't something that I had kind of felt that any of us could bank on. Um, it was just so incredibly well embraced over there, both both in terms of box office and just general reception. So um, we got the nice seal of approval from Oprah. And How much of know, a difference does that make? I think it makes a huge amount of difference, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I think she she has half of the world following her on Twitter. So just one, one tweet by her saying she likes a movie is a huge, huge deal. So I think for us it, ma it made a big, big difference. But also just personally for me, it was, it was a really wonderful experience to have her sit and talk about the movie with us and, and, and give her blessing to the movie. It's also worth saying that although America is a very, very important part of this market, the yes. film is also hugely embraced by the Isle of Man, which is where it was made. This year is the Isle of Man Year of Culture. And yes. Amma and I, were we did an onstage thing and it is true that it does feel like the Isle of Man film industry sort of came of age with, uh, with Belle. It's, it was a really nice feeling to go back because I hadn't been there since we finished filming Belle and to go back with the finished film, to do the talk with Mark, to meet some of the people that had supported the film while we were there filming and then gone and seen it when it was out. It was absolutely wonderful. And, you know, it is everybody I speak to now is about to or has just gone and shot something in the Isle of Man. And I loved it. My husband's here today in the pub, in the bull, having a beer. And uh, he came out for the whole time we were in the Isle of Man and didn't want to leave. He was running on the beach every morning and, you know, just loved it. So it, it, it has a very special place in my heart. Astute listeners will have noticed that it sounds as though we're on fire. It's not that we are by 
a roaring fire because that's one of the reasons you go down the pub It's a roaring fire. And someone has thrown another log on the fire. <laughs> We've also been uh, joined by Bill Patson. Hello, Bill. How are you, sir? Hello, Sam and I'm It's, fine. it's very, very nice. It's very to handy, see. This, this pub. For, it is. Well, for us boys, David and I, we're only yeah. yards away. And happy Christmas to you. Oh, and thank you, Sam. And, and we've got some, some crackers which we should, which we should pull uh, in just a moment. Have you? And you've just finished filming Dad's Army. Well, that yeah, right? just a, all week, done? a week or so ago. It's all done. Yeah, hot from the barricades. It's now in, in both senses of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and do tell yeah. us which role were you playing? Oh, uh, well, I wonder. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a prize at the end of the so day. So to- Toby Jones was on, was on the show just before the filming started yeah. and he had his Captain Mannering moustache. Yeah. You know, he, he was, but he was, he was looking terrific. So I know you can't say too much, but just yeah. tell us how the whole thing went. Well, and, you know, it, it was a tall order in a sense and, and who knows what's, what's, what's going to happen. Happen with it, but it's 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 like repainting the Sistine Chapel, you know. Yeah. Uh, doing Dad's Army, I must say, when the the news came that they were going to make a film of Dad's Army, I was I would have been one of the leads at the petition to stop it. But but in fact, you know, that, that when you join in something like that, it becomes like a classic. The, you're almost measuring yourself. You can't copy the other actors in any sense, but you're measuring yourself against a sort of benchmark. And um, it's worth the second goal. And so the general feeling was, as we, as it, as the mellowness of doing it, and the and the and the people you, you meet a lot of people when you're filming, as you know, you meet a lot of people in the street, especially crowd scenes or whatever. The the general feeling was had moved from from the feeling of what are you doing touching that to a sense of this is going to be worth trying. And if it doesn't work well, you go back to the originals and the joy of the originals. And are we are we all doomed? Oh, well, we're not doing. We're certainly not panicking. Uh, we're not so panicking. Many, there, none so of us were stupid boys. I'm just so glad you asked that question because I was too embarrassed <laughs> yeah. to do it. But, but well you were, Simon. You went over the top for us. <laughs> there. So, yeah. so many catchphrases that every, yeah. everyone has. The a problem few was that originally on the script, a lot of the uh, catchphrases came in early on. There was a kind of rush to get them in, and I always, I, I, I was one of the ones who said, "Look, save. You've got to save these. You've got to earn the catchphrase. You know." The series earned its catchphrases by the sheer use of them over 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 many many. And for episodes. a whole new audience, they uh, won't know the catchphrases. Yeah, so, so it's so. just better to just drop them into when when I actually say it. We almost certainly are doomed. <laughs> when I say it, well, we are. You'll you'll notice it looks like we're doomed. All right. Well, we well we can't wait. But actually, the highlight of your acting career for this year, you and David and Emma. Uh, is going to be in a few minutes' time with the... Uh, I can't yes. wait. No, uh, we'll go radio <laughs> vocal drama. warm-up yes. later on. Yeah. Yes, I mean. um, I but, so, David is already off the page. Apparently. He's, He's off, the page. off the book. Yes. Yes. <laughs> He's made some notes. I don't sure if his people have passed them on to our people. Yes. But the chances are no changes will have been made <laughs> and we'll just carry on that. regardless. And it's uh, 35 years since I've done this. I just want to tell you yeah, all. Really? Since yes. I've done some acting. Grange Hill. You're kidding. Grange Hill, 1986. You don't look as if you could have been around that Exactly. That's what I was thinking. All right, it might be 30. Before, uh, 30. Before we get this, 3.14, by the way, and uh, you can text and email the show. You can also, also watch online. Uh, you can watch the live stream, which to, usually it's, let's face it, it's just Mark Two in old blokes in a with a lot of paper. Although Mark, uh, Dave did just say, I like your filing system. We just basically chuck it on the floor. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the live streaming now has Bill and Amma and Dave and me and Mark. And before we get to our... Wittertainment Christmas Carol, as we have such an esteemed group of people around the table, your reactions to this news which has been reported the last couple of days that Sony have said they've got no plans to release the interview internationally after the threats from hackers and cinemas in America cancelling screenings of the film, which is, as everyone knows now, about a plot to kill the North Korean uh, leader. Anyway, just as actors and directors, Emma, what did you think when you 
when you heard that story? What's your reactor as someone who's in making movies now? Well, you know what? In, in some ways, I wasn't that surprised because if exhibitors, the cinemas, are saying they won't show the movie, what can the distributor do? If they simply won't show it, what can they do? I mean, I, it's, it's sad and it's difficult to, to contemplate, especially for all of the people that have put all of that work into that movie. But ultimately, you know, if the exhibitors won't show it and... You know, my husband, as everybody knows, works in the area of, of cybercrime and, and international crime. And this is an area that's growing. Cybercrime is growing. And I think they've showed their power with this kind of cyberterrorism. They've shown their power. And the fact that they could get Sony to, to pull this movie is is unsurprising in this way because it was a really strong move. And, you know, as they're saying all over the news today, this isn't just about the film industry. This is much, much bigger than the film industry. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not that surprised that they've had to pull the movie. David? Yeah, I'm, you know, it's that thing of how it started was in a little bit of tittle-tattle, really, about the email exchanges, and it was all a bit of a joke about, you know, Angelina Jolie and stuff like that, and how serious it's become very quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, you know, it's not just the film industry. This is going to go wider than that, and it's about how uh, corporations and countries deal with this type of cyber terrorism. There's a whole new bag of tricks for them, really. So it's going to be very interesting you know, how it unfolds, I think. And, and when Ben Stiller says it's a threat to freedom of expression, I mean, he's, he's, he's obviously right, isn't he? Yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, of course yeah. it is. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and, uh, and that's been, you know, it's that how, the, how us as an industry deal with that. But, you know, we can do it as in theatre and, and uh, films, but if it, if it won't be shown in cinemas, then there's very little you can do it. It's where the... Where the distributor stops, you know, who, who's responsible if people are threatening to bomb the cinemas that the film is playing in, then you're, you're you know, you have to make a decision somewhere. Bill, well, my instinct is that, uh, just how vulnerable uh, everything is these days, and uh, that's repeating what everyone said. It um, strikes me that there are, there are other platforms nowadays that films can be shown on, so maybe the cinema distribution isn't, uh, isn't quite the big issue that it might have been, uh, but it still would mean that Sony or whoever is going to deliver it to these platforms is, is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a macho business, the film business, it, or it pretends to be a macho business, but when it confronts real, uh, real threat, it's, uh, it's quite easy for it to, to collapse in front of it. I mean, I think the whole thing is, is horrible. As David said, it started out as kind of tittle-tattle and stuff, which were people making jokes about. Funny, but the, the end result is horrible. Firstly, I mean, anyone making threats against anyone and cinema-going audiences and cinemas is a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. People backing down from releasing something, you know, it is, very, is a very, very worrying precedent. I mean, slightly tangentially, I've been involved for a long time in trying to get Warners to release the uncut version of Ken Russell's The Devils, which hasn't happened yeah. because it's a controversial film. Well... If we're now living in a kind of in a world in which people are going to think twice about releasing controversial material, that is very, very worrying. So I think it's gone from being, as David said, something which was, you know, seemed initially oh, a slightly tittle-tattle story to something which really is very depressing. But people and people have always demonstrated outside controversial films, as indeed everyone has the right yes. to or do. Fil or filmmakers themselves, as well, like Kubrick did that with Clockwork Orange, they pulled the film themselves. But for the corporation to pull it is a very different. Thing. Yeah. yeah, I just wonder if it's up the ante. You know, next time there's a controversial movie with a strong lobby who sure. is opposed to it for, yeah. for whatever of course, reason. We, we, we've, we've crossed a threshold yeah, now. I mean, we, we can't go that. back from this yeah. now. We've crossed yeah. a threshold, and, it, and as yeah. David says, it's going to be how we deal with it. I tell you one thing: from a director's point of view, there are going to be lots of movies 
movies coming out about cybercrime now. Mm. You know, it's, we're, we're going to be exploring this from that point of view. If only you knew someone who could maybe inform your uh, uh, filmmaking who's well, into cybercrime. If only you knew somebody. If, Do you only, know if only I knew someone, I have to say, I was to the only somebody. reason I married him. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, joking, darling. Steve Carell uh, is going to be on the show in the new year talking about, talking about Foxcatcher. Uh-huh. Mm. And, and his next movie was going to be called, I think it was going to be called Pyongyang, and it was all about North Korea, and I don't think he's going to be making that movie. I think they've yeah. cancelled that movie straight yeah. away. Fortunately, Dad's Army is the Second World War, so it doesn't deal with the Korean right, War. Right, there you go. Yeah, that could have done something. <laughs> uh, so it's Five Live. It's, it's 19 minutes past three o'clock. How many movies do you want to review before we, uh, before, before we finish, Mark? Because well, I'd obviously like to, we've got uh, our top production. Uh, we've got Totes Emoji, which we have to play. Mm-hmm. And, I'd uh, like to do three, and I will try to be brief. When okay. we're getting into costume, maybe that's what I can do it then. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Bef- uh, before you review a movie, should we should we play round two of Totes Emoji? I, th- I can tell that you're dying to do so, and David is so enthusiastic. Amma is looking. Let's like go. Let's go. Believe me, Amma, it's worse than you can possibly imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Let's, that good? Let's it? play. Let's play our little jingle. Christmas 2014. It's Totes Emoji, and I'm not even joking. On Five Live. Okay. Now, that must have made you interested, I would have thought, straight away as soon as you've yeah. heard that. It perked up. And, yeah. so, so this has come about because it, people have noticed that you can uh, summarise, you can do a movie review based on emoticons which are on your phone. Okay. And someone on our Facebook page has pointed out that the speech-to-text function means that your phone will actually read out the name of the emoticon. So we're now going to give you a couple of movies that have been out this year, big movies, which you might be able to recognise just from the voice version of the emoticon. Is everything clear? Yes, I, I couldn't think be so. clearer. Not really, couldn't be clearer. There we go. Okay, totes emoji, round three. Sapling plant. Thinking bubble. Thinking bubble. Thinking bubble. Drip. 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 Face screaming in fear. Face screaming in fear. Face screaming in fear. Monkey. Monkey. Tiger. Tiger. Elephant. Elephant. Sheep. Sheep. Any ideas so far? There's a lot of animals involved. Is it this year? That, it's this year. Well, that has to be Noah, doesn't that it? That is Noah. Noah. <laughs> Noah. Noah. <laughs> Just it I knew that. You, Face you, screaming you in fear. That? Was that Ray Winston? Monkey. Monkey. <laughs> Monkey. <laughs> Elephant. 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 OK, see, they, see how easy it is. Oh, it's Ray, Ray, Ray Winston, who had the best yeah. line in Noah, which was, Man United will never be defeated. Yeah. What's a football <laughs> movie suddenly? <laughs> okay, you, OK, we've got one more. OK, we've got one more. Listen very, very carefully. Watch this film. Lips. Eyes. Bikini. Extraterrestrial alien. Fire. Skull. Okay, you, uh, can we hear that again? Because uh, some of it wasn't uh, immediately clear. Try it again. Lips. Eyes. Bikini. Extraterrestrial alien. Fire. Skull. I should say the word that sounds like buffini is bikini. Oh, bikini. Yes, exactly, oh, exactly. Bikini. I mean, a b- buffini was easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, any ideas? Any no, ideas? we've already had Interstellar, so I have no idea. I was going to say Interstellar, yeah. and I haven't seen it, although, obviously. Although you are, you're in the right genre. Yeah. Oh, no, there isn't a bikini in Interstellar. <laughs> no, no, he's, but she's in the right genre. Oh, is it gravity, then? No, 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 no. There's not a bikini in gravity. No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 Emma, I stand yeah. corrected. Yeah. Apparently George had one underneath his face. <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. Actually, she's in little shorts, not yeah. really a bikini. Yeah, that's okay. true. Uh, uh, and what was the movie? What's under the skin? Under the I, skin. I, I, oh. had I had it on the tip it of my tip tongue. tongue. Fantastic. One of my films of the year. It's fantastic. Yeah. I loved it. And, wow. right, one of your films of the year, and you still couldn't get the points. <laughs> yes, well, honestly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what is wrong with me? 
Do you want to do a movie review and then yeah. we and then we shall do as uh, a movie review show. When we get changed. We'll do a Wittertainment Christmas Carol. We're going to put our costumes on. Mm. We're going to just give our notes to the director and so on. Yeah. Uh, but but you better get go and do something. So should we do Dumb and Dumber too? So 20 years after Dumb and Dumber, which was uh, you know um, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels being actually surprisingly funny uh, under the direction of uh, the Farrellys, we have Dumb and Dumber too, which essentially reunites Harry and Lloyd and once again sets them on the road and once again sets them on the road in a quest which involves trying to track down. A and here's the strange thing. Well, firstly, here's a clip from Dumb and Dumber 2. If you remember Dumb and Dumber from 20 years ago, here's Dumb and Dumber 2. You guys want to play He Who Smelt It? Huh? What's that? It's complicated, so pay attention. We put the windows up. First one who smells a fart gets a point. If you say who dealt it, double points. But if you say you smelled a fart and nobody farted, like if we were just passing a slaughterhouse... False fart! You lose a point. And you can't smell your own farts either. What, are you guys kidding? No! No! I'm not gonna sit around sniffing your guys' farts like some kind of truffle pig. Forget it. Okay, fine. Lloyd and I will play one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, head-to-head. -head. How can you play one-on-one? -on -one? If you smell a fart and you didn't do it, isn't it obvious the other guy did? I thought you said you never played before. See, here's the problem. I saw... You're laughing fun. I saw Dumb and Dumber in whenever it was, 94, 95, and I remember laughing all the way through <laughs> and feeling for the first time that thing which people have talked about, you know, guilty pleasure. You laugh at something, but you think you shouldn't. And then I saw even the prequel, you know, Dumb and dumber when uh, Harry met Lloyd, which actually, although everybody hated it, I thought there were some chuckles in it. You know, there was, a, there was four or five laughs in it. Watching Dumb and Dumber 2, I wondered whether have I changed or are the gags just not funny anymore? Or is it that in the passing of 20 years, the Farrellys have actually forgotten how to time these gags? Because the gags are substantially the same, and yet they are nothing. I mean, they're just it, the crushing disappointment. I went in there wanting to sort of laugh all the way up to the ceiling, you know, like uh, Uncle Albert in Mary Poppins, and just sitting there stony first. And we finally get to the end of it, and they do a montage of scenes from the old film and scenes from the new film. And it seems like the cruelest of gags, because it seems like the film is almost going, you remember how young you were when you thought this was funny? And you remember how you just saw that same gag again and it wasn't funny second time round? And there are, you know, some of the reviewers have actually been quite kind. Some of the people have said, well, you know, it's raise the chuckle, it's the funniest thing the Farrellys have done ever since, which is incidentally not true, because the Farrellys did do some interesting work. And there was a point at which they had a genuinely anarchic cutting edge. I mean, yes, their humour was always kind of lowest common denominator, but it was actually quite smart lowest common denominator. This just feels like we've completely run out of sea. I know, what can we do? Well, we'll get the old team together and we'll just do the old gags again. And it's, it reminded me somewhat of meeting somebody in a pub who you'd known at school and they were really great fun and you met them in a pub 20 years later and you realised actually they were really annoying and quite dull. <laughs> and here we are in a pub. And here we are in a pub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's Dumb and Dumber 2. So it's 3.26. Now, uh, let me bring you a Christmas uh, entertainment. It's a entertainment Christmas, Carol. Let me give you the cast list. Uh, we have to introduce a new member to our, to our show just in a moment. So the role of Scrooge will be played by Bill Patterson. Yes, yes, yes. He's done it already. Uh, the role of Bob Cratchit will be played by Amara Santi. Hola. Yeah. yeah, who hasn't acted since Grain Chill 1986. Exactly. Uh, Marley's Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come will be played by David Morrissey. Thank you very much. That's okay. Thank you. Uh, what voice are you going to use, by the way? I have no idea until we get there. Okay. <laughs> just let the moment take you, darling. Just I, honestly, whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever just go I don't like to prepare too much. I loved your Henry, so do that. <laughs> and there's a, uh, we have a character called Jason Exposition, who's going to be played by Jason Isaacs. Let's say hello to Jason Isaacs. Hello, hello Jason, Jason Isaacs. Isaacs. Hello, hello. Greetings. hello, Jason. You don't hear people who were ah. entertaining 20 years ago at school. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? Uh, I'm in a virtual pub on the other side of the world. 
try to reacquaint my children with what my face looks like. I've been away for a long time. I wish I could be there, obviously, uh, to have a shandy in the back of the Christmas. But I'm virtually there. Do you have your script, Jason? I have a script in front of me. I, I'm really horrified that I'm once again the plot donkey. First Fury, now this. I can't believe it. But I will, you know, in the service of something greater than me, I'll, I'll do it. OK, well, we're going to split this because... This is, yeah, go on. If, if, if this is the Morgan Wise Christmas show, am I Angela Rippon or Andre Previn? Who am I? <laughs> Andre Previn. Andre Previn, <laughs> definitely. Although happy. you have the I'm legs fine. of Angela Rippon. And he, uh, b because it's the, s the cinematic trend, even though we've only got enough material for one section, we're going to split it into two, uh, and we're going to do part one now and part two at uh, the other side of uh, the news and sport. Uh, Mark is going to play the role of... Whatever's left the over. The ghost of Christmas present, Werner Herzog, Danny Dyer, Tiny Tim and Boy, and, and I'm playing the fuzzy the bear of Christmas past. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Thank you Jason. Jason. Right. Here all week. <laughs> OK. All right, so a witch time Christmas Carol, part one. Starts with sound effects. Aha, all this extra money for three-day screenings has made all the difference this year at Scrooge's Giant Multiplex Popcorn Emporium a cinema chain. But despite being wealthy beyond my wildest dreams, I'm not going to take Christmas Day off. I'll be here at head office as normal, plotting how to squeeze an extra quid out of the cinema-going public. I'm thinking of charging for using the toilets next year. Hi, my distant cousin, Jason Exposition. Hello to Jason Exposition. Why do we always have to say hello to Jason Exposition, by the way? Anyway, what can I do you for? Hello, distant cousin, Ebenezer. Just to remind you, at this point of the story, I'm going to do this all in one breath because that's how exposition should be done. At this point in the story, Christmas Eve, you've already refused to donate any money to charitable causes. This established your mean and selfish character, but as your neighbours now become a synonym for miser, I really don't need that theme. <laughs> also, your nephew Fred has asked you around for Christmas dinner, and you've said no, which shows you have no close relatives who want anything to do with you, so therefore, you really must be an awful person. Uh, sorry, and all that happened just before the play started. Which is two Brechtian alienation devices in the first minute. Not bad for entertainment fans. Uh, you better get back mm. to telling Cratchit you think Christmas was, you know, there might be someone who doesn't know the story. <laughs> well, that was, that was a phone being slammed, and now a door slams, but we haven't got a door, so door slam. Hello, Mr Scrooge, and Merry Christmas to you. Cratchit, you miserable wretch. I expect you want Christmas Day off. Well, if you ask me, it's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. You'll work double on Boxing Day to make up for it. Be gone with you. Christmas. Humbug. Another door slams. Q Scrooge. Ah, home at last. <laughs> now to watch some Michael B. <laughs> oh, I'm not. Change. Change. It's a little bit late on the chain. Very it's good, Simon. Well done. Oh dear, oh dear. I'm walking. I'm walking with a start. Sounds like it's Simon Gray going to a punk rock party and a morose German talking to that <laughs> bloke with the eye patch after telling. <laughs> So who's, who's here? What clanking is that? Who's that banging on the table? It is me, your old partner, Marley. Or to give me my proper title, Marley's Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. He's good. Marley, you see. Well, get up, stand up, and let's have a look at you. Hang on, hang on a minute. That's not right. Marley's Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. We needed to save time, so we're combining characters. Oh, oh right, right, right. Well, if they only done that with love, actually. And, uh, and who, who are you? Who are you terrifying, ghostly friend? This strange, but trilby creature 
with the polka dot scarf is Fozzie Bear of Christmas Past. Hiya, hiya, hiya! And, and you there, you heavy-lidded German, who are you? Guten Abend, I'm Werner, the ghost of Wachnacht and Present. So that's everyone. Now down to business. Do you see these chains? Do you? Oh, I am forced to the wear these the in the afterlife because I was miserly in life. Like you, Ebenezer. I ate in the cinema. I rustled. I used my mobile phone. I kicked the seat in front of me. I was greedy and I was selfish. I invented charging five pounds for popcorn. Take heed, Scrooge. If you don't change your ways then you'll carry even heavier chains than this in the afterlife. And they'll be designed by Marie-Sylvie DeVoe. Oh, no, no, not the costume designer of Transformers Age of Extinction. No, I am terrified, Marley. I am the fuzzy bear of Christmas past. Ah! Uh, no, 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 I expect I must come with you now. <laughs> uh-huh. No, we've all brought... This is Douglas Heard now. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> we've all brought magic iPads. I can't do it in that. It only, it only works for... We're nearly at the end of part one. I was nowhere near drunk We've all brought magic iPads with us. Magic, magic iPads. Well, that's handy. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I see a, a montage of the happiest moments from my early life. Scenes of my boyhood and youth stirring my gentle and tender side by reminding me of a time when, when I was kinder and more innocent. A, a Christmas party hosted by my first employer, Mr. Fezziwig who treated me like a son. I remember that party. Naomi Watts left early. Oh, Oh, my poor neglected fiancée, Belle. Great name for a film, by the way. (laughs) Who sends our relationship and who ends our relationship. I'll read that again. Who (laughs) ends our relationship after she realises that I will never love her as much as I love money. Oh, Belle. We could have had a dead amazing life together. Bell, Bell, oh, oh, ghost, please, no more. This has certainly stirred my long-dead sense of family. I wish I could continue my character arc right now, but we'll split this into two bits, so I'll just have to wait until after the interval. Yeah, Whatever it, happens, is it, it the news or is it yeah, the sports? It's news and sports, news and news weather and, and travel and, and everything I'll carry on after that. It has been the death of radio drama, <laughs> as we which will never, ever uh, be re- revived. And if you can just hang on, there will be part two of the other side. You just bought plus reviews of these films. Annie? Exodus, if we have time, um, after this epic. Uh, we're in our pub. Uh, Jason is waiting for us to go back to him because he can't wait to just get on with his <laughs> holiday. holiday activities, but we're going to keep him hanging on because we've got some movie reviews to come. We'll hear more from Bill and from Amma and from Dave Morrissey as well, but some movies to re- just mention fleetingly as we go past. Well, so let's quickly do Annie. So, um, you know, the, the, the latest incarnation of Annie, obviously originally is a comic strip and then, you know, 1970s Broadway musical, 1982 feature film, then a couple of rubbish TV movies and then a stage production sequel, which wasn't any good. And, you know, through all of this, Annie keeps smiling and singing and dancing and along comes the, the uh, you know the new incarnation and it opens amidst this sort of firstly there was a lot of hostility about oh people saying oh well Annie has to be a sort of fair skinned ginger haired wave she can't possibly in Africa possibly be an African American then there was all the stuff about the copies of it leaking online as part of the hacking scandal now the uh, reviews are out and they're frankly not very good and I have to say I think it's better than many people think the film itself has many flaws firstly I think Will directs it as if he's slightly embarrassed about it being a musical, which is a weird thing. I mean, he's, he, you know, he doesn't have a background in musicals, and it's one of, there are moments in it when characters say, is this really happening? Are you really singing? In a, in a way which sort of feels like it has to apologise for being a musical, as if somehow its audience will, will think it's unhip, and I think that's a, a major misstep. It takes some of the old songs with some new songs, and 
it has to be said that the new songs do remind you just how great the old songs are. There's also a shriekingly terrible performance by Cameron Diaz, although it's not entirely her fault because it's partly to do with the way that she's directed as Colleen Hannigan, who is the sort of screechy, now the person in charge of the foster home from which Annie comes. Those are all the problems with it. On the plus side, Quivenjane Wallace, who was so terrific in Beasts of the Southern Wild, and I think she was the youngest uh, person ever to be nominated for a Best Actress Oscar, I thought was really, really good. Makes the role her own, is charming, and has that, that same unaffected feeling that we've had and we've seen her on screen before. I think she does a pretty good job. I think Jamie Foxx makes the best of a role which tries to update the Daddy Warbucks uh, characters that now he's a, he's a, a mobile phone billionaire who's running for mayor. And actually, the relationship between those two is kind of charming and does sort of work. So although the film itself is terribly sort of flat-footed and awkward about being a musical, and although it sort of feels apologetic and there are loads of things that are wrong with it, Quivenjane Wallace pretty much, you know, saves the day and Jamie Foxx does, a, does the best he can understanding that the material itself is not entirely perfect. So it's by no means a triumph, but it is nothing like as bad as some of the reviews would have had you believe. Who's up for Annie? Who wants to see Annie? I'm dying. I just, I can never say her name. So you have Kervenjane to help me. Wallace. Kervenjane. I'm desperate to see she's her. I think fabulous, she's fabulous, isn't she? I, she is amazing. And she still has touched my heart from the Beasts of, Beast Beast of the Southern Wild. Um, she's one little actress that I'd love to work with. Really yeah. would love to. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see her too. I think it's, you know, it's a great mm -hmm. story. So I'll go for it. 3.42, come on, let's get another review on. Oh, you want to do another one? Yeah, okay, absolutely, well, I'm in the mood now. So, uh, Night, at the Muse Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb, which is the third instalment in the ongoing uh, Night at the Museum franchise. This time, uh, the tablet, which brings all the waxworks to life, is starting to go as green and mouldy as the film itself. And so they decide that they have to go and find Ahmed Ra's father, played by Ben Kingsley, who, of course, is in England. So they all come to the British Museum, which means that Regent Street is suddenly lit up with uh, Night at the Museum illuminations. I mean, it feels terribly cynical. It, does fit, it, it just reminds me of one of those variety shows in which you just applaud people for turning up rather than <laughs> actually doing anything. It's, I mean, it's not terrible. Dan Stevens has more fun than most people doing this kind of of uh, High Camp Lancelot, and there are a couple of giggles in it, but it does just feel like, oh, it's Christmas, here comes, we, what is the current variety show Christmas franchise with some special effects, some jokes, and a load of famous people, some of whom aren't with us anymore, here it is. And you just sit, and it's, it's a shame because it just feels terribly mechanical. It's not awful, it's not awful, it's just not any good. Anyone up for saying Night at the Museum 3? No. Bill, you, can I tell you that? <laughs> Could that be leaked to the, to the, to the Koreans? <laughs> yes. Am, are you interested? Do you know, I'll keep the fire burning at home while the rest of the family yeah. goes David, and sees that one. I think I would say, but I probably wouldn't go to the cinema to see it. I mm. think I'd probably more home entertainment yeah. for mm -hmm. me. You know, there's a whole swatch of films that you miss out when, you, when your kids are younger, and I, spent, I saw everything between late mid-'80s and 2000s. Mm. And after that, you don't you drop off the, the radar for a lot of these pictures unless you have to go and see them, as you have to do. But, so um, I, I'm kind of waiting my, my, my next uh, spell around to, <laughs> to catch up on these pictures. And uh, we, we mentioned Dad's Army, Bill. Uh, just just telling you, we're telling us about it. What, what else are you working on? What's uh, what's exciting in your uh, life? Nothing, nothing. That's it. There's nothing more exciting than doing something that everybody thinks is wonderful and and, uh, and and you might just ruin. So I, you know, that's that's quite exciting. That's enough to be going on with. Emma, what if, uh, you're in the middle of uh, directing a new picture? Yeah, I'm, I'm just about to start pre-production on uh, a, a picture called Unforgettable over in Los Angeles. It's a, a double female lead. It's a thriller. Uh, it'll be a ride. I'm looking forward to it. Well, come on, tell us. I'll, uh, 
Well, a little bit more first, with first this. wife has to come to terms with ex-husband marrying second wife, and it's essentially about the two women. It's, it's a study of female identity thematically. Um, and the pressures that we put on ourselves and that society puts on us as well. Um, and essentially it's, you know, who are you when you are, you've put your whole identity into being a missus and suddenly that relationship isn't there anymore. And who are you as a second wife when you feel like you're walking in the shoes of first wife? So it's about how the dynamic that these two women set off between each other and, and what comes of it. It's a real thriller, though. It's a rip-roaring thriller. David Morrissey, what are you working on? I've just fin finished the film called The Ones Below with Clemence Posey and um, Stephen Campbell Moore and a wonderful Finnish actress called Laura Byrne. And it's about two separate couples in the same house, one uh, in a flat below, the ones above. And uh, both women are pregnant and one of the women loses her baby tragically. And it's about how the couple who are now childless sort of ingratiate themselves into the life of the, children, of the couple upstairs who have their baby. It's very Polanski-like, directed and written by the wonderful David Farr. Is this a horror movie? It's a psychological horror movie, yeah. It's not a jump, you know, jumping scary movie. Is it the kind of thing that Mark would... I think so. I think he would really like it, yeah. But I'm hoping so, although he has reviewed films of mine in the past, which have been... Tosh, I think, was the word he yes, used David, for my <laughs> films. Well, I, I always been, thought it was a character out of the bill. Uh, I have been honest, David. Uh, always and, honest. And, and, and you, and of am, course, are successful enough to rise above it, I unlike love, some. I love, I and he's love got over honesty. it and doesn't feel as though he needs to mention yeah. it every time. No, exactly. It doesn't every feel like he needs to bring it up every time. Every time I'm on this show. What was the name of that film that I said, Tosh? I was the guy who liked Basic Instinct 2. Don't give me a hard time. I was your sole... Poor in the storm, then. The reaping, it was myself. It was myself and well, it was sleeping, and, as I think <laughs> I called it. Oh, dear. <laughs> I worked so hard on that movie. Uh, anyway. We, uh, we need to bring in Jason. We need to bring in... I also said Jason Donovan there, but that would have been oh. uh, uh, a cruel blow. Jason has joined us, and he's sort of interrupting his family holiday and annoying his, uh, his kids and annoying his wife because oh, he's actually, talking... Actually, fully, I'm still uh, kids' films. My kids are upstairs watching the Lego movie for the third time. Have you had a good year, uh, Jason? What have you been up to? I've had a lovely time. I've been filming a bunch of stuff. I've just got a film opening today in Los Angeles called After the Fall by Sar uh, Klein, who's a man who edited for Cameron Crowe and Terence Malick and uh, Doug Lyman. So those influences are all in there. And I've got a film at Sundance this year. Uh, called Stockholm, Pennsylvania, which is fab. But most of them have been shooting something that was meant to be over in a few months. We started it in Israel, and uh, bombs started going off, so we moved to Croatia. Okay. And then we moved to Albuquerque, and then we're going back to Croatia. So it's the job that never ended called Dig, and it's a mini-series from the creators of Homeland and Heroes. And, um, if, you've got and a movie, if you've got a movie that, that, that's coming out today in L.A., why aren't you in, uh, in L.A.? It's not a big movie. I've been to Berlin with it in South by Southwest, and... Uh, Deauville and San Francisco and various film festivals. It's a fabulous, lyrical film, which is uh, told in rather a beautiful and poetic way, but it's not necessarily a big blockbuster, and consequently, they would not fly me to Los Angeles. Fair <laughs> <laughs> right, enough. Nodding yeah. looks from the actors and directors around, yes. around the table. Now, uh, right, so let's get to Dave part two. I just want to say that Dave and I are available to play the two female leads in your movie. Uh, Oh, Just sounds yes, wonderful. Do you know what? That would be an edge on it that I hadn't quite comprehended yeah. it originally, but <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm thinking about this now. <laughs> you know, you've got to do something to get attention nowadays. Crowded marketplace. You're yeah. so right. 
You're so right. I love that, the fact that Jason's on holiday, but pleading for a part yes. already. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so thrilled to be working with all of uh, my heroes, uh, particularly Werner Herzog, but also because Bill Patton taught me most of the things I know about acting without realising it. My first job was on a series called Capital City. And on the same set, they were shooting Shrinks, a series Bill was in. And I used to sneak in oh, and yeah. watch it. And he would grab the sides, and I thought, God, that's unprofessional, he's not learned the lines. And I watched him, and what I realized was he kept it fresh. And Bill, I, ever since then, I've been driving directors <laughs> mad by asking for the sides and not overlearning it before I start. And it's because of you. <laughs> that's <laughs> what he's called. Now <laughs> I know what he's called. It's called winging it. It's so cane. You're so, so I've done a lot of not overlearning. I try not to have it too much by rote in my head so they can feel fresh on the day. And I learned that at your knee. Now, I can't put this off any longer. So we, You're to blame. And now, by popular demand, we have part two of a Wintertainment Christmas oh, Carol. Read as fast as you uh, can, frankly. Okay. More right. winging will no take place. No, uh, okay, I'm going to do it as Ian McKellen because he's more interesting than me. I just can't make this exposition interesting. So here comes okay. Gandalf the Great, the Jason Exposition. Okay, here Come. we go. I'm Jason Exposition. Hello to Jason, Jason Exposition. Exposition. Well, that was crap. If it was a panto, we'd do that again. Anyway. Hello to you. So to recap, Scrooge, evil miserly head of an evil multinational cinema corporation, has been visited by three spirits. The fuzzy bear of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and Marley's ghost of Christmas yet to come, a composite character we've created to make the narrative leaner. Now it's the turn of the ghost of Christmas present to terrify Scrooge. Yes, my turn now. You need to stare into the abyss of Christmas present via my magic iPad. Look, a joy-filled Christmas candle macht. People are buying almond candies <laughs> and all kinds of awfully crafted tat that you wouldn't leave in your home at any other time of the year. Mm, exactly, humbug. But look here, the simple joys of Christmas in a lighthouse perched on a rocky outcrop miles from civilization and lashed by an angry ocean, a location doubtlessly chosen by Dickens for its association with death and despair. Even here in the miners' hovel, some joy can be found. Now, see here, a party at your nephew Fred's house. Poor old Scrooge. I would sum him up by saying that I feel sorry for him. I would sum him <laughs> this party up Hello, by saying that you no, all do, think man. he's as mean and nasty old man who knows the cost of everything yeah. and the value of nothing. However, I still think that he can be redeemed. Redemption is the main theme in this story. Anyway... Where's Naomi Watts gone? That's so much better it's than my so Jason Statham. That is so much better. Okay. <laughs> so, so it was Jason Statham. Jason Statham, yeah, yeah. So you're beginning to see the happiness you're missing out on by virtue of your antisocial behaviour and mm -hmm. hatred of the holiday spirit. Is this still brings out the This is still Werner Herzog. I'm doing it first. Brings out the best in others. And beginning to, yes. And now behold, the infant tiny Tim, who I've got to do as well, apparently. <laughs> Son of your employee, Bob Cratchit. What a pathetic child. Look upon the horrors. This boy is badly ill. His father cannot afford treatment. He most probably has something I can't read out. And then Danny, and then Tiny Tim, as played by Danny Dyer, says, I'm Tiny Tim! Oh! <laughs> there is truth and beauty in this, of course, despite the troubles, this family is happy. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us all, everyone. Yeah, me. Oh! This boy's sickness is your fault. If you do not do, not do something, then he will shortly return to the void owing to want. Cameron's Britain. Uh. <laughs> oh, I'm Shut up, you old trot. I now hand well, you I'm back hurt. to Marley's Ghost of Christmas yet to come because we are running out of time. I am Marley's Ghost of Christmas yet to come. Your walking, talking spoiler alert. Verbal is Kaiser Soze. Tiny Tim is going to die because Bob Cratchit couldn't pay his, for his treatment on the minimum wage you're going to pay him. 
It was Earth all along. You're going to die alone. Snape kills Dumbledore. No one cares that you're dead. Tyler Durden isn't real. Local businessmen are indifferent to your death and will only attend your funeral if lunch is provided. His friends are all part of his beautiful mind. Your housekeeper and local undertaker steal your stuff whilst your corpse is still warm in your bed. It's a sled or sleigh, as I would say. Your gravestone becomes neglected. He's a ghost. You start sobbing. She's a bloke. The villagers sacrifice the policeman. I'm looming over you in a lonely graveyard. Solvent Green is made of people. Soylent Green. Soylent Green is made of people. You became racked with guilt at your miserable life. Darth Vader is Luke's father. You agree to mend your ways. You sit up in bed. I've gone. The killer mother is part of his spirit personality. His split personality. It's Christmas morning. So it is. Boy. Boy, what day is it? It's Christmas Day, sir. Christmas Day? I'm I as light got... as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. You there, boy. Go and buy the biggest turkey in the shop. Well, there's so many to choose from this year. Mrs. Brown's Boys to Movies, Pudsy, Blended, oh, the no, 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 I mean the fowl. Oh, in that case, Transformers Age of Extinction. No, 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 no the prize turkey. There's a grand in it for you. Take it straight to the Cratchit's household. See you in two. And I'm off to nephew Fred's, if they'll have me. I expect they'll be surprised, but once they, they see how filled with joy I am, I'll be welcomed back into the family fold with open arms. I intended to give Cratchit a raise. I will become like a second father to Tiny Tim. I will bring back projectionists and all my cinemas. I will minimise the number of adverts I show before the main features. And I'll pick it up from here. And hello and goodbye to Jason Exposition. Hey. Hello to you. Some people laughed to see the alterations in Scrooge, but he let them laugh. Little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset. And knowing that such as these will be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins, as had the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. His friends called him Ezer, and he was the main geezer. And he vibed up the place like no other man could. He was refined, sublime. He made you feel fine, though very much maligned and misunderstood. It was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us. And so as Tiny Tim observed. God bless us, everyone. Go blimey, Governor. <laughs> well, a round of applause. Well done. Brilliant. Uh, uh, Jason, uh, thank you very much indeed to all our, uh, our extremely well. top talent who took part in that extraordinary production. Jason, thank you very much. You can go back to your family no, and go back to the Lego movie. Spoil me now for the rest of my career. I might just have to give up and open a cake shop. Thanks very much and Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Merry you. Christmas. Thank you, Merry Christmas. It'll be on your IMDb <laughs> listings uh, probably by, before the end of the show. Uh, we've just got, we've got a couple of minutes. Let's choose one TV movie. There's never been more stuff uh, for us to choose from. Uh, who wants to go first? Dave, do you want to choose a movie that's on TV? Yeah, Christmas? Chinatown I'm going to choose, oh, which uh, is on Monday the 29th of December on Film 4. It's one of my favourite films of all time, so I never get tired of seeing it. And uh, so that's what I'm going to say. Why would it be one of your favourite movies? I just time? think uh, it's brilliant acting. I think it's great script. I think it's Polanski at his best. It, uh, you know, totally supported by the system at the time. Just great. And Polanski, you know, is such a great actor as well as a director. And in that, yeah, he's just got it? one cameo in this, in this film. And he's just fantastic. And also John Huston, who is just wonderful, as well as Faye Dunaway and Jack Nicholson. So, you know, it's all, all 
what's not to like. Exactly. Okay. All right. And when's that on again? Just one more. Twenty ninth on okay. film four. Bill Patterson. What well, are you recommending? I was going to say I was going to go, go for the same one, except that I felt that uh, Roman Polanski might be a little disappointed at the thought of being the Christmas film of the week. <laughs> so I, I'm in, in, in as, as some kind of to try and make amends with the ghastliness of of my Scrooge there. I I, I would still pump. Uh, I think there's just something so magical instinctively. It, it turns up in about six films that are on this list in the story of, of the Christmas Carol, Scrooge. With Scrooge. Yeah. So I'm going to go for the 1971, which is on, on Saturday, 20th of December. Uh, it's the, the one directed by Robert Ronan Nin with uh, Albert Finney with Alec Guinness as Marley's ghost. And uh, just something, he was kind of made to, to, to play that part. He was made to play many parts, Alec Guinness, but to see him floating through yeah. the sky as, as Marley's ghost is, is the kind of epitome of Christmas. Amma Asante, choose us, uh, choose us a Christmas movie, please. Do you know, The Railway Children is oh, Christmas yeah. for me. Mark's going to start crying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I just can't help it. it. There's just something about it. So it's the original, it's the 1971. It's on Monday, the 22nd of December. Lionel Jeffries. And, yeah, Lionel Jeffries, absolutely. And I could just, I can never get over that, that, that scene with the mist and the daddy and oh, daddy, right. my daddy, daddy, my daddy. Arguably the greatest line in cinema history. Not absolutely. only the greatest line, but it's that is the scene I wish... I only wish by a slight margin had never been shot so I could shoot it. <laughs> only by a slight, slight margin, otherwise it wouldn't have made up some yeah. of my, my film history. But I, I just love that movie, absolutely. So it's Christmas for me. And when's, and when's that on? It is Monday the 22nd. And what time is it on? It doesn't say what time, but it's Monday the 22nd of December. Okay. All right, look out for that. Uh, and it is on, actually, it's on at 14.55, 5 Always to 3. afternoon. Yes. Perfect. Mark, what is, uh, what is your TV movie of the fortnight? I'm going to go for On Christmas Eve, Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Were-Rabbit, largely uh, because it's, it's, it's a wonderful film. The animation is brilliant. It has some of the best cinematography I have seen in cinema. I gave them the award for best cinematography that year because that film looks yes. absolutely brilliant. It's so funny, so smart, so inventive. I know we've run out of time, so a very, very quickest review of Exodus. James King made the need for a review redundant by tweeting the following. He tweeted, I've just seen Exodus sitting next to Mark Kermode and Alan Jones. Ge general feeling was, hmm, good plagues, though. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say, on behalf of everybody here, thank you very much indeed to the Bull in Highgate in North London for letting yes, us come and sort of spoil half Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Dave Morrissey, thank you very much indeed for inviting thank us you to your time. Happy Christmas to you. And to you. Uh, Amara Santi, very nice to meet you. Thank you very much thank for coming you on the so show. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Have a great year. Bill thank Patterson, you. we appreciate your time with us. Thank, thank you very much indeed, thank Bill. You, uh, happy Christmas, Mark. Mark. Happy Christmas. Oh, oh, oh there's cracker. Oh, there's a cracker. All right. Well, that was our festive special, yeah. and, uh, and I thought it was all right, Bill. And really hard to believe that that will be, be with us forever in the air. Yes. Isn't it? That, I, that, I can that, only apologise. <laughs> Who is Simon Poole? Is he with us? The, he, the writer? He's, oh, he's, he's there. He's, he's there. there. Hello, Simon. Oh, call the writer. Simon. Call the writer. Bring yes. him forward. Did you, have some, did you have some notes for him? No, no, none at all. I just I did. It. Just one note. Brum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 You're on fire today. I just wanted to apologise. a question. No, it's just because just when Bill had said, um, you know, something's out there in the ether and once something's yeah. on the internet. For, I just wondered whether your old Grange Hills were, were out there, you know, on YouTube. Do, do you ever go looking for them? No, I never ever go looking for them, ever. But I do believe some of them are out there. I think some of the really classic stuff with um, Zamo and the drugs. Zamo! Just say no. And the That's drugs stuff, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, some of his acting, well, all of his acting during that period was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's the stuff that made me realise I shouldn't act. Right, and I right, should right. leave it to the people who can. Who can. Um, but no, I, but what I do know is that when they repeat my, my uh, grain chills, they call them vintage. 
and they called them vintage about five years after I left, so I was very <laughs> offended. I've been vintage very long. If you go searching on YouTube, you can also find me teaching Timmy Mallet how to make a T-chess base. That's not can going you, anywhere. You, I'm, I'm going to live for that now. Further? Can you well, just it was a, it was a Timmy Mallet used to do a show called Utterly Brilliant, and yeah. I was in the skiffle band, and so we the, we're teaching oh, Timmy Mallet and a bunch of kids how to play skiffle, and of course you forget all about it, and then yeah. one day, due to the miracle of the interweb, it turns up again. Did he go back to Australia, Timmy? Wasn't he? Was Australian. I have no. I have to say, we didn't stay in contact or, or, yeah. after that. You know, <laughs> we both decided Maybe best best walk away. <laughs> I think you can. I think you can find. If you look very carefully, you can find. Um, uh, you can find me unicycling, and getting a gotcha Oscar from Noel Evans. Really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, aged about 31. You got a gotcha Oscar? I got a gotcha Oscar. And where is it For in your what? household? What per, is a gotcha Oscar? A gotcha, well, there you go. Oh. There you go. Ah, that's an age. Noel Edmonds used to do a Saturday, uh, Saturday night thing. And he used to, it was like a prank. I, I was, fell no, for it. Was it Noel Edmonds? Yeah. And where'd I you realised the first, the first time I... The cabinet somewhere. The first time <laughs> I saw Mike Gambon on, on film was at the coronation in 1953. I was an eight-year-old boy watching television, and on came. And Mike Gambon was the fourth uh, sea cadet on the left at the oh. bottom of the Old Witch. Really? Age 12, or whatever he was at the time. Right. And that's the first time I said, that's the first time I ever saw you on telly, Mike. He said, yeah, I was there. Was he scene-stealing, then? Was he just... Scene-stealing, he would have been. He had a big white beard. Been, he, the the <laughs> rifle, instead of being on that shoulder, would have been on that shoulder. I was like, did he have the same really distinctive face, though? I but guess he much did. younger. I guess he did. Yeah. I, I, if there's any old footage, I'm going to scour it, and I'll find it. <laughs> David, I realised the you first know, David Bowie is an extra in Virgin Soldiers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alex yes. Norton worked with them, kept in touch with oh. them for years. Gosh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. We, could, we could wrap it on like this uh, for many hours, and indeed we probably will. Yes. But uh, we, we're, I think we're at the end of our podcast tape. End of our tether, I think. At the end of our tape and at the end of our tether. So one more time, Bill and Amma and David, thank you very much indeed for Merry joining Christmas us here. Thank everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Little corner uh, of the pub, and we're done. David, thank you. Amma, th thank you. Bill, thank you. Mark, you're pretty good in places. Yeah, two choruses we're of the Ellen Bannon, and we're finished. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Christmas to you all. Happy Christmas. Yeah. Bye now. On digital and online. This is BBC Radio Five Live. BBC.co.uk/slash Five Live. <laughs>